You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium and Gale. It's Uncle Silk. It's your boy, the All-American, 35. That's Dan. Oh, I man. Guess how, Captain you Dan. At, how you feel at 35? You good? You know, you know I'm 1,000, always. Always 1,000. Of my, my game, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, before we get into the shenanigans, man, how was y'all boys Mother's Day weekend, man? It was phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. I, uh, I, really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, with, with my wife and my my family, um, I wish I could have saw my mom, but you know, um, it is what it is. But ultimately, you know, that's that's, you know, that's that's a day that we a lot for our wives and and our moms and whatnot. But you know, every day is Mother's Day, but you know, I I really enjoyed this one. How about you, Dan? It was good. I so I went down to South Florida actually for for a couple of days in the middle of the week uh, to go see my uh, to go hey, see bro, my parents. My house and they ain't calling me, bro. Yeah, I know, bro. I went. I went the got a return the, the, favor now. I know I went to the, uh, the I went the 75 way through Alligator Alley and all that, but uh, no. So I, I went down in the middle of the week to see them, and so I didn't uh, I didn't spend uh, Mother's Day with my uh, with my mom, but uh, but she knows, and, and we talked yesterday. Got her, you know, got her, you know, um, you know. I, I think the most important thing she wanted was for us to spend time together. You know, this year's been crazy in terms of travel, and, and then obviously this coronavirus stuff. So so we wanted to spend some time together. So we got to do that, uh, but my Mother's Day was spent uh, spent boating. So. No, that sounds pretty fun, man. Um, did you guys? What do you? What do you end up eating for Mother's Day? Both of y'all. Oh, man. Did you cook? Were you the chef? So, so, so I I was gonna get on the grill, but I just decided to. Um, what I did was put some breast and chicken breast in the oven. Um, I'm glad you said chicken because you want to yeah. make sure. You yeah, know I need some saying? clarification there. What <laughs> you get frisky <laughs> early on the show? <laughs> chicken breast, man, and uh. Do some some yellow rice together, man, and some uh, some stream beans, some something like nothing really too too fancy. Had some uh, some visits. Chris Rainey came over and his family for for a second, so hung out a little bit. What about you guys? What about you, Silk? I, I I didn't I didn't do anything special. Yeah, I had a um just had a crab boil. My, my wife loves crab. I'm not a big crab fan, bro. I just don't I don't have time to be picking that stuff and get my hands messy. So I'm not a big crab person. It, I eat shrimp here and there, but I'm just not big on the crab boils. But she is, so we did a crab boil. Uh, had some corn in it, some potatoes, some crab, shrimp, all the shenanigans, man. So that was it. There's not a whole lot to do because everything is just locked down. Um, let the wife do some shopping on Nike.com and Adidas and whatnot, and that's about it, man. We actually ain't finished that shopping. She's still she's been in the shopping cart for two days now. Okay. Trying to like figure out what she don't. She got a budget and just like it's an open. <laughs> that made the vibe where she could just got a black car and just go at it. Look, she I, just in her little budget that I gave her. She's like figuring thought, out exactly look, what she wants. I thought you was doing it like that. You said she she still got it open. There's a couple nah, days. Some days know? gone. My daughter, my daughter <laughs> entering eighth grade. The, the 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 lavish just buying her Louis bags for no reason. Days is gone, man. I'm planning for college and that type of shit these days, man. After right, you, yeah. <laughs> So um, that was about it, man. Ain't a whole lot. I didn't get to see my mom. I went by her house. My mom just be 
living her best life, man. So I went by there to, as soon as I woke up at seven o'clock, I got dressed and went over there. I got over there about 7.15, nowhere to be found. I called on her phone five times, sat there for an hour, nowhere to be found. So I was just like, yeah, I got to get back home to cook my wife breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Before, before she wake up to shenanigans and, and, and I'm not there. So I didn't get to see her. My wife went back over that evening, yesterday evening, and ran into her and gave her the gifts and whatnot, but I didn't get to see my mom either. So I'm, I'm going to go hang out with her tomorrow and have some coffee. No, oh, very good. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good to be back down in South Florida. Uh, we didn't do anything special in terms of cooking. Uh, you know, my brother and, and his wife and their two kids live down there. So when I got down there, we went and grabbed uh, a quick lunch and then I just got together. Like I said, just hung out. We, there was a park that was open uh, that we just sat at some benches and hung out for a while. And then we went and you know, had a long, a very long uh, dinner uh, with uh, with my brother and his family, which was awesome just to spend time together because you just don't get those, those kind of uninterrupted times together. You're always distracted. And it was good to not be distracted by a holiday. Holiday, to be honest with you, I obviously it was right. Mother's Day on, on Saturday or Sunday, uh, but you know we were there on on a Wednesday night, right? So so being able to be there and, and not worry about Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or whatever it is, and you know just have that unencumbered time together, it, it probably made it one of the bed, you know, one, in my opinion, one of the better Mother's Days um, that I've been a part of at least. Really good, man. That's that's what's up. Y'all watching anything new on TV? Yeah, man. I was just asking these boys, have you seen what is it, is it called? The Oval, I think is what it is. The Tyler Perry. Uh... Uh, show that come on BET, so I kind of I, I downloaded BET and, and Tyler Perry. Usually not my bag. I'm black yeah. as hell, but and I'm, I'm white as hell, and I'm not either. So it's, so it's about it's about it's about the 46 <laughs> the 46 president, and it, and it's about the in, in the White House. So it's about their family and whatnot. Um, it's it's pretty dope, man. Me and my wife been been kind of glued to it lately. You know, I gotta check it out. Did. Yeah, I called my mom. I'm like, yeah, mom, what you doing? She's like, I'm watching my show. My Tyler Perry show, and I'm like, what you want to say? The old one? I'm like, oh, we're watching it too. So yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom watch it. Anything Tyler Perry drop? Tyler Perry goes to, to to Disney. My mom, my mom going to see that theater. <laughs> well, Tyler it, Perry it was, goes to 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 camp like Ernest. My mom is going to the theater to watch it, bro. Her in the church. It was cool. It was cool because I like like you say, Silk. I ain't I ain't really too too much on it, but I just downloaded the app because I was trying to explain to my wife. Um, about the Jamie Foxx show. And that's that's the type of things I get to explain to my wife. She don't know nothing about the Jamie Foxx show. Oh man, Jamie Foxx show classic. See what I'm saying? Bro. So I, when I put it's it on, so underrated. Yeah, it is, bro. So when I put it on YouTube, I seen at the bottom it said B. It was on BET. So I downloaded the app just to see if it, you know it would have possibly had episodes on there, but it didn't. But I, we we fell upon that. So yeah, check it out, man. It's a, it's a good show. You watch no, no, watching there? No, no, just. No, no, no. Still trying to get through Ozark, and um, I'm trying to think. I, I haven't watched anything else. It's been it's been busy with work, so I've been able to, to to stream through much. Uh, and then you know, like like we talked about a little bit, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. Got the boat now, so I've uh, been uh, been doing that a little bit more frequently. But but no, nothing really. Still trying to, to power through Ozark, uh, which is a lot, right? I mean, hour long episodes, it's good, but it's just you know, it takes up a lot of time. So we'll we'll get there one day. But that's that's where my my mind's at right now. What about you? Uh, nothing new on like Netflix, nothing like that. Pretty much the same old, same old. I got into um the new season of Billions started, so um I'm, I'm update on that. So I just been glued and, and get into that. Uh, Working Moms is another funny one that's on on Netflix. Yeah, I heard about that. You watch some, yeah, you want to watch some funny uh sitcom type stuff with your with your lady? It's pretty funny. It's like professional women that got young babies and they're trying to make it work with. With home and working all this stuff, but real funny. What is what is it called again? Working moms. 
And what you said it's on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. One of the things that I saw on Hulu the other day, uh, and this is kind of a blast from the past, but I saw that Full House and Saved by the Bell were on Hulu now. I don't know about you boys, but I used to watch it every morning before I went to school or when I used to come home from. <laughs> so I might I might get back in and, and try to watch a few episodes just to kind of see if it still slaps the same. I don't think it does, but uh, I feel like from nostalgia reasons, no joke from the time. It does. My daughter watches it. You know, yeah, so I, I, yeah. My, my, my daughter. My daughter I was shocked too. Uh, she gets into it, the Full House heavy. The old yeah. joints, but my but my daughter she she's still young, so she she liked the full the the Fuller House. She check out Fuller House too, but I don't know nothing about Fuller House. I can't. I like the original man. I can't be. Yeah, talking. no, I watch I watched like an episode or two, and I a Fuller House when it came out. I was like, oh, nostalgia. It w- wasn't quite the same because different characters and it. I don't know. It's too right. now, right? But uh, I I don't know. It, from the time that I was probably in like second or third grade to the time that I probably went to high school, I watched Saved by the Bell like every morning. So, um, so I might have to, to watch a couple of those episodes, see if I still can uh, recite them by heart like I used to. My dad always used to laugh at me, and then I think it frustrated him after a while how much I, I memorized those. Saved by the Bell slapped heavy when we was always. kids, man. Oh, yeah. My school didn't operate like that, though, so I, I was like, man, this is how white people go to school. It's great. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I still couldn't wait to get to middle school because I thought it was just like that. You know uh, me, too. Right. me too. Me too. It was complete opposite. So How the same four or six people run the entire school, every single activity? There's, right. like, there's like 19 other people that go to school in downtown Los Angeles with them. It's so funny, though, because <laughs> in, different, in, different, in different scenes, I'd be seeing the same people. It's like, what? Like, the same... The same couple couple uh, geeks that be up there. The same couple jocks that be around. Like, oh yeah, Always. yeah. They played into stereotypes real heavy on there. Oh yeah, I don't. I think that show get canceled pretty quickly now. Hell yeah, <laughs> Dan. I see you joined the boat the boat club, man. Did, Big boy yachts. I see you, man. Flex yeah. on us. Let us know uh, what the vibes like. Yeah, so I've always I've always wanted a boat, but I've heard the you know the, the common saying that the, the two best days in a boat owner's life are, are the day they buy and the day they sell. So I, I wanted to do something that didn't have me have to figure out a way to do insurance, do dry docking or or you know wet docking, whatever. Um, I didn't want to do maintenance. I didn't want to do any of that. So joined uh, joined the Freedom Boat Club here. Uh, in Tampa. So um, you'll see me all over Instagram, all over Twitter, follow me and, uh, and you'll see all sorts of pictures, but yeah, we're, uh, we're talking about uh, getting out together. The, uh, the, the four of us here yeah, about to see us. Not just yeah, exactly. Uh, it's awesome. It's um, you know, it, it wasn't all that expensive to join. Uh, when you consider it, I went in with a with a friend of mine because he's going to want to go out for some business stuff. I have a, a reason to go out for some business stuff as well. Uh, but it's just it's a way to get out on the water. And like I said, it's always something that I wanted to do. So uh, it was a good time. The Rain of Specials, one of those things you couldn't refuse. So um, anybody in Tampa, let me know if you want to go out, and, and we'll try to see if we can get out. It's a anybody. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I I, I use the, uh, the the right to uh, to or I'm the one that makes the reservation, so I yeah. guess I'm the uh, the the ultimate guide. So uh, no, but it's fun. I mean, you can rent bay boats, you can rent pontoon boats, um, deck boats. Let's see what else. A pontoon. Oh, uh, some skiffs. You know, um, you know, center console. So you can do all sorts of stuff. So you want to go fishing, you want to go lounging, you want to just cruise up and down. It's awesome. So next time a mod you're in Tampa, let me know or in Lakeland, let me know. We'll uh, we'll get together as well. We'll get out there. All right, man, let's get into the uh, the rest of the show and the podcast, man. We got to get into Gator news and updates. So first on the docket, we have recruiting. <sighs> Don't sigh, bro. We about to hang out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So And that's why I'm sighing because there's going to be a little bit hanging out. So I, I guess the biggest thing, do we want to talk about Zach Evans first, I guess? Um, 
going to TCU. That was kind of the last big um, target out on the uh, on the market. Florida thought that they you know had a really good chance uh, with him. Um, I think the COVID nineteen, the lack of the ability for him to visit, plus you know he just had a strange recruitment. Uh, all in all, he uh, announced today that he enrolled over at uh, at TCU, which should speak to speak volumes about that. Um, recruitment as a whole is that he's going to TCU, but uh, so I don't know if you have anything else to add other than you know Florida. You know, let's we'll get on that. Uh, him going to TCU, I don't think it's an indication of him not having options. Uh, I think uh, it's it's twofold thing. Um, I think we was kind of put in a corner with how we could recruit um, him after because I mean obviously we had a visit set up for for Zach. Um, pandemic hit that visit gets kind of shut down. Zach got to enroll somebody somewhere to go this fall. So he went with something f- familiar and close to home. And I get it, but they, that has nothing to do with outside. You feel me? Um, we completely whiffed on a, a whole position. Right. If you want to counter transfer, you can, but I'm not I'm not counting that, you know what I'm saying, on the docket for for a recruiter this cycle. Recruiting out of high school, we completely whiffed. And, and doing this podcast thing, bro, I always want to echo – the fan base, you know what I'm saying? Whatever the vibe yeah. is with the fan base, I want to be in tune with that and, and kind of relay the vibes on this show. Uh, right now, the vibes in Gator Nation is what the hell's going on in recruiting. It's a, it's some right. of it's some of it's warranted. Um, a lot of it's warranted. Some of it isn't. Uh, we gotta keep in perspective the time frame we're in, and some of these guys can still be closed mm-hmm. on in the 20 cycle, in the 21 cycle. So we'll see. But right now, bro, it, it does not look good. We also missed on somebody else. We'll get into that later. But on the, just on the Zach Evans, um, him going to TCU, I don't think that's an indication of nothing. I just think we couldn't complete the recruitment and we Is couldn't it, close. What else could we do you think we could have done for Zach Evans? Obviously, we couldn't get him on campus. What do you think we could have done? I think we could have uh, not been in this position. I think we could have not yep. been in this position to have to rely on a guy like Zach. Okay. I like that's, that. That's that's the that's the best thing I think we could have did is actually recruit the position better and have somebody in the fold, and you're not relying on a guy in a pandemic that that hasn't had a visit to come. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of writing on the raw wall once we didn't get a visit. So we just got to get better. Um, the best like we could, we could like Dan develops with the best in the, in the country. We know that he's a great X and O coach, game day coach. We're gonna win games, but we got to recruit better. It's in the, the proof is in the pudding. The guys that are winning it all. They recruit well. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I saw a, a tweet. I'm going to see if I can if I can find it. But it talked about the, the top six uh, running backs in the state of Florida that were in the top 300. And, and Florida ended up with none of them. You know, Miami ended up with two of them. Alabama ended up with one. I think Clemson, you know, obviously ended up with DeMarcus Bowman. But you're in a position where you rely on a guy that obviously has a, a wild and crazy recruitment, you know, is committed to Georgia at the time. Obviously, he backs off of that. And you just kind of hope for the best. And, and, you know, maybe the cards didn't fall in Florida's favor. And maybe if COVID doesn't exist, you know, Florida ends up with a guy like Zach Evans. But no, I agree. Uh, you can't be in a position. And, you know, at the end of it, too, you know, they were, I don't know, I don't know if they were turning them down, but they certainly weren't pressing hard on, on either some other names. And, and we've said on this podcast, and I think we all agrees we don't want to just take a name for a name you know but you know this is two cycles in a row where Florida is not in the position that it needs to be you know in the recruiting side of things and yes Lorenzo Lingard did transfer yes Lorenzo Lingard was a former five-star you know but he's still coming off knee injuries and we don't know where you know he fits into that mold and you know if he comes in you know has a great season you know when he comes back and then he bounces early you know to the NFL or whatever it might be you know Florida is in a position where they just don't have the bodies and that's scary especially in Dan Mullen's offense and we saw, you know, the first year of Dan Mullen, the running back position, you 
you know, produced really well. And last year there was a, there was a lot of issues. And so, you know, couple that with, you know, recruiting, it's just there, there is a reason to, to definitely have your eyebrows raised, you know, at that position group. Yeah, we, we definitely, that's something that we definitely got to get it, get a handle on. Um, I, I feel like it's unacceptable to, you know, some of the misses, man. And we can't rely, we can't rely on a brand. And I think, I mean, I'm not saying that's what they do, but, you know, because I don't know what's going on. Keep that in mind. I don't know what's going on in the recruiting room or whatnot. I'm not there. Um, but I just, I feel like, man, we got to get on these guys, man, and, and, and win Florida back. I mean, we sit here relying on Miami not being very good and Florida State not being very good. That's what we got to capitalize on. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we can't let these guys slip away. Uh, not bringing in a, a running back in, what, two cycles is, is unacceptable. Yeah, Flores got one. I, f- I found the tweet. It said uh, there's been there were six backs in the top 300 players in the in the nation, the state of Florida. Uh, last year, Miami got two, FSU got one, Clemson got one, Ole Miss got one, Penn State got one. Florida signed one running back um, in in the last two uh, cycles, and, and the state of Florida was pretty loaded last year. So it's not just like those top six, you know, guys were you know just kind of running the mill guys. Those are guys that everybody's yeah, recruiting. But I think they run into sometimes the indecisiveness like um right. is a guy a take is a guy not a take uh i don't think they playing that as smooth as you would like um giving guys uh, conditional offers i would say um i think we got to be a little bit more decisive who we want who we going to take who we going to wait on and just make a decision um offering guys and letting guys try to commit and then other staffs have built relationships with these guys and would take them right away they use that against us towards the end so I think we just need to be more decisive and we just we got to recruit better, bro. Um, that's just what it is. The, the Gator standard is not just for the players. The Gator standard. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm pretty sure this staff, Dan Mullen's been here before. He know the vibes around Gainesville. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten wins. Like we feeling good. Eleven wins. We feeling even better. Right. But, bro, we here for the we, we here for the jury. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and 11 cool oh. and, and it's progress. But we're here for the jury, and we're here for the jury not just on on that on, on uh on national title day. We, we, we want the jury on recruiting too. Like we've been yeah. spoiled a little bit. So it is what it is. I think they gotta up the standard a little bit and they gotta close better. Um this cycle is not done. I like to keep things in perspective. This cycle yep. is not done. We got a long way to go. Uh, a lot of twists and turns with is this if this season is gonna fall uh play out. Uh we also had another guy that we was hoping we got, um, Jacory Brooks. What's your take on that? You end up committing to Alabama this week. Uh, Wide receiver out of Booker T. Washington. Yeah, that was that was tough because I know Silky, you and I were talking, and we both felt pretty confident about him going to uh, to Florida. Obviously, Alabama has put a bunch of players in the NFL. They put what three wide receivers in the NFL again, uh, you know. But that's a guy Booker T. Washington, Florida, sat in a really good position for, you know, kind of until the last minute. And uh, you know, crystal balls were rolling in. If you care about that kind of thing for Florida for 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 quite some time, Florida felt really confident on their end. I know sources inside the room felt really confident, you know, and then, you know, the night before, you know, some crystal balls start rolling uh, in for Alabama. And and then it, it almost feels like another Alex Leatherwood situation, another Tim Smith situation, another Donnell, is it Donnell Harris? Is that, is that who it was from, from last cycle? You know, where you get so close with these guys, but you, but you can't convince them to make that flip. And, you know, Florida wants to move from, you know, great to exceptional, Right. You need to to be able to win some of these battles. Um, and there's nothing more that frustrates me. And I know who they are and how good they've been for so long than to see a school like Alabama continuously come in to Broward, Miami-Dade and Palm Beach counties and poach the top kids year after year after year. 
Yeah. Um, like you said, Dan, we talked behind the scenes uh, about Ja'Cory Brooks. When the first Crystal Balls wrote, then you hit me up again. was like, what's up? <laughs> what's up? What's going on? And and I just talked to people that are around the recruitment. They still felt good. But as it, it, the right guys start putting in crystal balls, you kind of you kind of see, OK, yeah, it's not looking good for us. Right. So we we ended up not landing them. And, and, and I don't think it's that that recruitment is not detrimental. You want to get the best receiver in the state every year if you can. But I think Copeland was real right. good. Hendo was real good. We're finding a re- receiver room, but you want to just stockpile talent regardless. Um, but we missed out. We'll see what happens. I don't think that recruitment's over at all. Um, no. South Florida, he's a receiver, and he I'm pretty sure if anybody asked him, he would say, like, his recruitment's not done. I think he takes visits. I think he shops around a little bit, and we'll see what happens. Um, I want to talk about, like, how, like, and we'll get into it also with this whole Chauncey Gardner thing that just broke down, but <laughs> it feels like, and we're going to talk about it, but it feels like 247 is setting Gator Nation up a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Right. It looks like I that we 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 we, we generate. What were you saying, Mark? No, I just felt like they're just take, taking little shots here and there, and just like mm. poking and shit, and then just backing away like they ain't do nothing type deal. Like you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, fo- follow the clicks. Follow the the common big names on on Twitter, and and a lot of them is. As weird as it sounds, like a lot of your traffic is driven to Florida. You have a lot of crazed fans there. They've got a really big presence on Twitter, and you drop some of these bombs, you get them riled up. They click on your stuff. Okay. I, mean, <laughs> I want to set the scene. So this is what happened. So to the average fan that probably listens to this show and not on Twitter, don't know the shenanigans that's going on. So uh, last Friday around mid-afternoon, uh, Chauncey Gardner goes on a rant, um, starts bashing the program and, and Dan Mullen and the staff. Uh, saying that he won't come back to school and that uh, he was bad mouthed to the NFL, uh, yada, 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 a lot of nonsense. Um, in the midst of all this shenanigans, Amaz enjoying his day, um, probably on a brisk walk with some iced tea in his hand, um, daughter in tow, son in the stroller, uh, wife on the side, just having a good old evening in Gainesville. <laughs> he tweets, you know what I'm saying, just mind his business like he does every day. Uh, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Uh, had nothing to do with anybody. So a, a random fan replied to uh, Ahmad thinking he was talking about Gardner. And Ahmad replied, no, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I know nothing about that. Leave me out of it. Chauncey uh, still goes on and uh, retweets, of course, and said, I, I pretty much tells Ahmad to watch his mouth. Uh, of course, Ahmad being uh, a, a gentleman and a scholar, of course, he didn't reply. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's going to handle mm-hmm. things behind the scenes, which he should. But after that, I, I got an opinion on, on Chauncey Gardner as well. But after that, um, we wake up this morning and 247 has written a whole article and has included a mod in the article uh, claiming to have subtweeted. So they're guessing what a mod's thinking when he shoots a, 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 just a vague tweet, mm-hmm. subtweeting Gardner about his rant. Mm-hmm. Um, a mod approaches. Hold on. So to, to interrupt you real quick, it was, it was a national writer, too. It wasn't Correct. even one of the, the local guys. Yeah. Correct. So, it was not. It was not. Um, somebody that would have camp. a pulse of the program and, and what's going yeah, on. Yeah, right? Correct. That is true. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to throw those guys on the bus at all. Right, right. I'm cool with them. Uh, Thomas Goldcamp, Blake Adamant, Bob Redman. None of them had anything to do with this. And 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 I just want I don't want to get into too much. But no, they didn't have anything to do with it. It was a national writer. And it just seemed calculated. And it's not the first time that 247, they do this. They did it last summer with the Chris Steele thing. Uh, I think a lot of people jumped on some articles that was just far-fetched, and they jumped on a bandwagon. And right now, we had a transfer. 
Uh, we missed out on a recruit. They trying to pile on. And it's for clicks. It's obvious. Anybody can say what they want to say like it wasn't. It's clearly for clicks. Even when they retracted their statement out about Ahmad, there's no apology that come out. I think it's, it's cheap, uh, tacky journalism. I'm just going to be honest with you. It look like it's for clicks. I, it, it, was, it was just weird, bro, because, like, last time I seen you see, brother, come on, bro. Like, I, I do a lot of talking on Twitter. I poke at fans and whatnot, dog. But, like, if you really know me, bro, I ain't even on that, bro. I, I, I chill. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you want to get on that, we can get on that. But it's not really that deep. You know, everybody who right. played for the University of Florida, who came here, you know, I, I got love for it. You know what I'm saying? We're family, bro. We talk about that all the time. We don't just throw it around. I mean something. Like, we, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we cool. So, Last time I seen C or whatnot, we was cool. For him to come at me like that, I'm like, hold on, you know. So I did some behind the scenes, you know, and we talked a lot and whatnot. It just felt like I was talking about him. But here's my whole thing: How the hell y'all thought I was talking about C? <laughs> if I was talking about C, I would have added C. But you clearly <laughs> said, you clearly said in the comments. I I said like, yeah, don't put me in that. I don't understand how that got missed about you know with everything, you know. Right. And an hour later, right? I think that that's yeah. what's funny about the article that frustrated me the most is that in the article, it was like an hour later, Ahmad Black subtweets uh, Chauncey Gardner. I'm like, A, wow. that tweet in no way looked like it, it could have been connected, right? Second, it's an hour later. And third, if you've looked at any of Ahmad's tweets, he has no problem adding people. Uh, right. And that's what I think frustrates me yeah. is it, you know, and then. You know, I, I'll just let you know. I'll just say it. Just real, know, like Ahmad's a real he, dude. He's not gonna move like that. Like right, you know, and, and there's no reason for Ahmad to move Correct. like that, right? Like if Ahmad really cared, he would text message Chauncey Gardner, hit him up in his DMs, like, "Hey, bro, like, what? you know, let me help you if you need anything." But like, that's just not the way Ahmad moves. And what frustrates me is the apology that that Ahmad got after. And I'm not trying to put him on blast, but you know, it was very much like, "Oh, I saw you tweeted this an hour later. Therefore, I just assumed, you know, that it was about him. I deleted from the article." It's like, no. Like that's terrible journalism. That's shoddy right. journalism, and all you're trying to do is rile up a fan base for for no reason. You know, you don't you don't just say, "Oh, my bad." I, you know, I, I you know I thought. You know, when you, when you're doing journalism, like like Dan just said, it's just so weird to me. Like, I, like yes, Chauncey, you know, tweeted that or whatnot, and, and you know, I guess he, he got some animosity built up, you know, with, with the school or, or you know how the coaching staff, um, you know, handled everything. But what does that got to do with me though? Like, I'm. I'm still trying to figure out how did I get dragged in this whole right. situation, bro. That has I, I don't, I'm I'm confused. You know Somebody's not in tune with the with with, with the streets or, or or what's going on out here. They're not they're not on beat with what's going on. First of all, like you doing media stuff, you got a platform, so you can't just be calling out people with a platform. And mm -hmm. the fans are noticing it. Like they can say what they want to say. Um, you go on two four seven board. They're mad Gator fans. They're people that are calling and they're saying that the way two four seven has been been moving around Gainesville, the stories, the clickbait, the negative articles, everybody see what's going on, man. And I'm just like, I'm just going to call it how I see it. That's the only way I could do it, man. If, if, if anybody's just out here just pouring out negative articles because our fan base is going to click it and they're going to generate money off of it, move your money elsewhere, mm -hmm. period. That's just the vibes. On the touch, go ahead, Dan, you got to take Oh, no, no, I don't really have a take other than I agree, and I've got some great places to point you if you want to, you know, hit us up after. Uh, I just, I, it's it's frustrating that that's journalism. Uh, it's frustrating that that's the article that goes out because, it, again, A, I don't even think it's an article worth really writing about. It's, it's a guy that, 
you know, has been spouting off of the mouth for, for his entire career, says one thing on Twitter during the middle of the day, and you're just like, okay, well, let's write an article. Two, it's attaching a mod's name to it. Three, it's not linking any, you know, anybody else where the, the conversation oh, that's going on, right? It's on. Just, Florida just got a no, transfer. Florida yeah. just lost on the commit. Uh, Florida got a lot of shenanigans going on. So, yeah, so I try to make it sound like now the old players fighting with the, you know, come on. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that he, he said he, he muted the conversation. And, and he just now saw that and he want to apologize way this afternoon. But how the hell you how the hell you, you edited the article? No, hey, somebody one of his bosses told him to apologize. That's, that's what, what happened. You, that's what let's happened. Keep it a buck. Yeah, let's keep yeah. it a buck. Don't, you know, don't do all that, bro. You, you, your boss told you, you know, come apologize. You seen you you saw yeah. it was a problem earlier because you, you edited it. Correct. So, yeah, there. So why I, you had to apologize when you edited it? Come on, right. no. and, and, or, or list that you edit it right like the, yeah. he just he had the article it went it went viral or you know whatever a couple hundred you know retweets or whatever likes whatever so you go through that and then you just delete it randomly through the article no you know announcement yeah. that no, you know no, that you can't. made an edit there's nothing in the bottom that said hey editors right. no you know we apologize for you know mentioning a mod black it's just it's deleting it from the article and to me that's even worse than originally putting it in because that's saying oh I made a mistake and I'm not even going to own up to it I'm just going to you know, you gotta, slide you your DM, show respect. So. Ahmad played for UF. He's a grad. He's you got to break outside. You can't just be walking around here talking reckless. You report on this team. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're writing an article about this team, about a, a former former players. You need to come correct. You can't just be throwing slop out there. You know what I'm saying? Just throwing shit against the wall. Um, my take on Chauncey. <laughs> um, I mean, we got to get in this bag. I think Chauncey's blaming the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, I think in, in life, when you start being accountable for the shit you bring in your life and, and and where you're at in life, I think shit goes better in the future. If you keep blaming others for shit that happened in the past, it's going to fuck up your future. That's just how life works. Um, I don't think nobody bad mouth Chauncey to the fact that it hurt his his uh, his career. Man, players have committed crazy crimes and still going high in the draft. At the end of the day, you had he had one year take. He had one year good tape, which this coaching staff that he's blaming helped him get. Mm -hmm. McElwain staff have had him looking goofy out there. Let's just be real. Yeah, this staff had got him together. Um, it, it, do players often disagree with, with coaching staff? Yeah, that happens. I'm pretty sure, like Percy Harvin disagreed with some guys on staff. That just happens, man. Big egos, young men think they know everything. I get it. But to blame these guys for what you, you dropped in the draft is completely wrong. Like, we all watch the game. We all watch film. We watch you get better um, through, through, through whatever. You whiffed on tackles. Everybody's just like, damn, this is crazy. Next year, you're making tackles. And we all gave you love. Now, all of a sudden, you don't make it into the league or you don't get drafted where you thought you were going to get drafted out of the league, after leaving early. Now, it's somebody else's fault a year later. You don't play the whole football season. You wrote a letter back to Gator Nation and thanking the coaches and the staff and the city mm -hmm. and all that. You did all that. And now you're mad. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, and I think it, there I don't know what you accomplished by doing it on Twitter. You know, um, I don't know what kind of attention you're getting. I don't know what, what he was trying to solve, but obviously it, it was the, the wrong way to take it. Um, you're responsible for your actions. At the end of the day, the NFL is going to take in everybody's thoughts because they're the guys that are around you. It's the same reason that when you go and interview for a job and they, you know, ask you for references or they go talk to people that, you know, right. worked with you before, they're going to ask you those questions. It doesn't mean it's that life. Florida bad mouth you. Correct. Me telling somebody that used to work for me to a new employer, hey, this, this, is some areas where this person can improve helps 
that new employer be able to manage that person better, right? That helps them address those situations better. That helps that person grow. Um, and at the end of the day, if you can't see that in yourself, then you've got a lot of other issues other than you thinking a coaching staff bad, Matthew. Mind you, you're now playing in the NFL. Your entire career moving forward is now on you. And now NFL teams are going to look back and say, why is he tweeting about UF like, you know, having issues getting a degree or whatever it is or how they badmouth him and that? Is it you they gave you a reference before you got drafted. You're already drafted. Now focus on what you can do moving right. forward. But right. now if I'm a, a GM, I'm looking back and saying, I've got some questions about this Chauncey Gardner guy. Why is he still going back to Twitter, right? Correct. You got you got to understand too, man. You know, and again, I don't, I ain't know nothing about this, so I'm just you know, it's almost like a dress rehearsal, bro. If you if you don't feel like they they said the right things about you or whatnot, why are you showing that you doing exactly what they said? You 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 showing your attitude right now, bro. Right. You showing your personality right now. You you can't let them win, bro. So we talked about it earlier. If that's if if that's what they said about you, then you just you, you proved them wrong. You come out and be, be the best Chauncey Gardner you could be. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that he you know he ain't trying to do that. You know, but I don't know. No, I mean, you just can't move like this. And the way he moving just looks crazy. Like you threatening people that you're not gonna go back to school. Like who that hurt? Like you're not going back to UF. You think some some UF counselors? <laughs> just, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not sitting around. Man, yeah. Chauncey's not gonna come back and finish yeah. his degree. Man, what are we gonna do? Yeah, like you're not hurting anybody but yourself. So I don't understand the point of it. Like you mad at the coaches, so I'm not gonna go back to school. How that makes right. sense? Because a, you're not gonna really if you unless you want to, you're not gonna interact with the coaching staff while you're there. No. And then two, you're the one that's turning down probably you know well let's just say thirty credits away from a degree that's right now the number seven public school in the country. By the time that he's done with his NFL career, it's gonna probably be a top five public school in the country. If you can't realize that and you don't value that, then that's on you. Right. Yeah, that's just my take. And, and also, like, Dan Mullins is, is, is not just going to, like, lie for you. He got a whole football team. He got a whole program that he no, got a word about. His word is everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, he can't just. Yeah. Them same scouts going to come back next year. And right. Ask about new players. So, if, if, you know, if they feel like they was, un, you was, un, they was untrue for the first time, I, I don't value what you say this the second time. You know what right. I'm saying? They, you lie about Chauncey Gardner, and then when they come ask you about C.J. Henderson, they don't even want to really hear you. Uh, yeah, opinion, your, your, your word is, is shot. Exactly. Your word ain't nothing no more, man. But um, that's just my whole take on, on, on that whole situation. I think we kind of off of it. I hope Chauncey just, you know what I'm saying, focuses in whatever help he needs. He mentioned before in the past that he's, he's going through some stuff. So whatever help he needs, and whether it's academic, uh, personal, I just hope you get this shit together, man. But this shit keeps going. There's no, like, plenty of people have left here. If you want to tweet reckless, say reckless things. Uh, the doors of Gainesville, the, door, the, the doors of Universal of Florida, they're not closing, bro. This shit keep going. <laughs> Nobody's bigger than this logo and this brand. I don't know how people yeah. don't realize that shit, though. This mm -hmm. shit keeps going. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, when you take a step back and look at it like that, I don't, I don't, I don't think a lot of people look at it like that, you know? Uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to, you know, come to the University of Florida. Let alone, they allow me to come back and finish my degree. So, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't. Everybody's different. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, your degree is different. You know, the amount of hours you had. You know, your relationship um, when you left. I don't know. I'm not. You know, I can't speak on the next man, but 
you know, it's they, they, I'm, I'm blessed to have the opportunity. I, I don't think he uh, he mentioned one time that he was mad about uh the the administration saying that he can't come back to school. He was mad about coaches. Like, and then there was people like administrators from University of Florida tweeting like, "Yo, like these guys want to come back. We here to help them." Like, yeah, let's just be real. That's what it is. Like, if you want help and you pull back up and you try to go to school, nobody's gonna deny you. But his all his tweets was him mad about coaches, right. and he's not gonna go to class or get his degree from UF because he's mad at coaches. Right. Just nuts, man. It's just not the time. But I mean, it, it speaks more about him than it does about UF. And um, you know, I don't, I don't know. know you guys... Nothing personal against him. I hope he gets his shit together. Yeah. I just think yeah. like when you're wrong, you're wrong. Right now, mm-hmm. he's wrong, man. But we're gonna we're gonna move along in the show. Yeah. We got two four seven is wrong too. So uh, yeah, they wrong as hell. We we got we got a lot we got a lot better stuff to talk about this week. I mean, we got we got Becky Burley, who's the women's soccer coach, uh, national championship winning coach. We've got Amanda O'Leary. Uh, who's the lacrosse coach, women's lacrosse coach, and then we've got uh, we got a former goat. We've got Kevin Carter joining the show. So, uh, what do you guys say we get started with those? I'm ready. Oh, man. I'm ready to pod, man. This perfect, out. perfect. So uh, this this part of the uh, the the podcast is sponsored by our friends over at the Thomas Firm, uh, who's going to handle any claims or, or issues that you have uh, with property damage to your home or business. So their lawyers have probably more than twenty uh, years of experience now. I've been bringing this for a couple weeks. I'm sure somebody hit a a, a new anniversary uh, of experience handling roof damage, uh, leaks from storms, water damage, hail damage, hurricane damage. That's season's coming up soon, boys. Um, sinkholes, fires, anything like that. So uh, they're going to work all over the state of Florida. No claim is going to be too big, too small. So if you have any damage to your home, give them a call. The Thomas Law Firm. Again, we talked about it last time or last couple weeks as well. Any issues with COVID-19 related to insurance or making sure that you get paid. Uh, also focus on, uh, they, they focus on that. And then they're working on a few other things that we'll talk about here uh, in the future. But they do represent all over the state of Florida. They'd be happy to talk to you. It is free to give them a call. So again, give our friends over at the Thomas Firm a call at 813-221-2525. Again, the Thomas firm here in Tampa, 813-221-2525. Let's get Becky Burley on the line. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is former national championship winning head coach and the only soccer coach ever in U.S. history is Becky Burley. Becky, how are you this evening? Yeah, that's right. First and last for right now. I mean, yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, I guess that leads to the question: How did you end up at UF as their first head coach? Well, it's kind of a little bit of a crazy story. I think Jeremy Foley was a a big risk taker in his day because uh, he hired me when I was 26. I had been coaching for five years at a small college in North Georgia called Barry College, and um, you know, I came in right before Billy Donovan and, you know, I think Jeremy was definitely willing to take a risk on some younger coaches who hadn't been at that level yet. And I'm glad he did. We are too. We are too. So not long after you ended up at Florida, just a couple years later, you ended up uh, as a national champion. Talk to us about how you built the program and what you looked for in those initial, you know, recruits that you were looking for and how you built the program and how you were able to, I guess, achieve success so quickly. Well, I'd really give a big shout out to all the other sports programs at Florida because, you know, initially when we were starting our program, you know, a big part of it is recruiting. And when you're recruiting, 
having hosts for your players to come in when they visit is really important. Well, we didn't have any because we didn't have a team yet, but all the other teams pitched in um, and really helped us in terms of entertaining the prospects when they were visiting. And, you know, I think they, they also showed everybody how all the teams at Florida were really good. And I think that gave them confidence in coming to a brand new program because they, they recognized the commitment that all the programs here had. I love it. I love it. So talk to us uh, about your career. Obviously, you, you it spanned quite some time. You have, you know, all sorts of, of recognitions and, and coaching, you know, coaches of the year, uh, everything else. Looking back on your time at, at Florida, what are some of the memories that you remember most, most fondly? Oh, geez. Well, I, I tell everybody that, um, you know, everybody's like, you should write a book. I'm like, I can't write a book until after I retire because, you know, there's stories <laughs> that you just don't want told yet. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Um, but I definitely think, you know, the, my favorite part of coaching at Florida is just every year when we have alumni weekend because everybody comes back and they're all connected to one thing, which is really cool. And it's really just like this giant family. I mean, just tonight, right before I got on the call, I was posting the birth of a child of one of our former players. And then um, last week, another one of our former players wrote a letter to the current team, which, you know, was really thoughtful of her during this time of uncertainty with our current team. And I think it's just really cool how they're all so connected. I love it. So, Becky, uh, go ahead. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, um, you got the COVID out right now, and you know it's a little bit weird. <laughs> how are you, how are you ladies, uh, coping with that? And you know, how are things for you guys? And what's differently right now that uh, the COVID nineteen is out? Oh gosh, it's. Uh, I think the hardest thing for us was, you know, when when the whole thing started, we were feeling really bad for the spring sports, especially the ones that just got disrupted in the middle of their season, and even the winter sports. Some of them got cut short. But we never thought it was going to affect our fall sports, you know, so we, we were feeling bad. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves in the same position of not knowing really what's going to happen in terms of will our season look the same as it has in the past. Um, right. You know, the hardest part has just been trying to stay in touch, trying to keep everybody connected, trying to keep everybody motivated, especially not knowing any dates or any real plans at this point. Uh, I think that's the, the toughest part is just the unknown. Right. What do you, does that affect any uh, recruiting at all or how does that work with your recruiting? Yeah. Like we're, I think the, all of the NCAA is in a, what's called a dead period right now, which means we can't go out and recruit and we can't have kids on campus. So there's a lot of virtual recruiting happening. I did a, a virtual home visit the other day, which, you know, isn't ideal, but Hey, you got to do what you got to do. It works. Um, we're trying to create some videos and things that we'd be able to share with recruits when they can't be here, like a, a video tour of campus, a video tour of the dorms, things like that. Yeah. So it's definitely a new way of doing things, but you know, you got to adapt. Yeah. Sure. Uh, in 1998, you won your na your, uh, your national championship and you guys went 26 and one ended up beating North Carolina, uh, the team that, that gave you that one loss. What was that season like? Um, highs and lows? It was it was pretty magical. Um, you know, we had lost to North Carolina so many times because we played them every season as well as every off season. And, you know, initially when we started our program, it wasn't like we just lost to them. Like, we got killed. I mean, we we lost one game, nine, nothing. That's like losing like 63 to nothing in a football game. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we just kept, you know, 
trying to play them as much as possible because we knew they were the standard at that point. And the more we played them, I think the more we felt like we were getting closer, but then we would lose like five, nothing, which is still really bad. So <laughs> it was just a matter of uh, chipping away. And then that season we did lose to them during the regular season, but it was home. The first time we'd ever played them at home. Um, matter of fact, a little trivia question there. Um, I think Rex Grossman committed to coach Spurrier at our game. I think I can't confirm, wow. that, but that's the rumor. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was just one of those games where we really felt like we should have won that game. And I think that really gave us the confidence because at that point, the story kind of turned from, you know, let's, let's get to the final four to like, let's win this thing. Let's, let's make a, a really deep run and see what we can do because we knew at that point we had the confidence to compete with Carolina. So what's the what 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 are your expectations every year um or or your goals is it to win the SEC or is it like to uh, to make a run? Well, I think you cannot be at UF without having an expectation of being in the championship conversation and winning the SEC. I mean, it's just that's just what you come to expect when you're at Florida, and that's hard because you know I mean as we all know like winning championships of any level, whether it's SEC or national championships take a lot of things falling in the right place for you and making that happen. But, um, you know, I don't think anybody that comes to Florida would want it any other way. That's why they come to UF because of the high expectations. And how, how intense is you guys? We follow recruiting uh, pretty heavy on the football scene, a little bit on the basketball scene. How intense are you guys recruiting with soccer? Well, it's a little bit different in the sense that, um, you know, the recruiting services and all that, that you see in basketball and football, like we're starting to get that in, in soccer, but, you know, it's kind of a little sketchy. Like, you know, when you say someone's like a five-star recruit, like that's some guy sitting in office who's probably like never seen any people play, you know, like, so that's we don't, football I don't too. think we, <laughs> so I don't think we, uh, we really don't use that as much, but, you know, certainly it's trying to find the right fit and the right person that's going to fit in at Florida because you have to be a good student too. You have to be motivated. You have to be willing to be sort of, um, moving from the big fish in the little pond to a place where you're going to compete every single day. And not everybody's cut out for that. And I think as long as we're clear in the beginning with our expectations, then that helps us get the right people once they are here. And then the recruiting process, I like to ask coaches this question because I'm always interested in the recruiting process. You, you A lot of times you get close to these recruits and kids. Uh, has there mm-hmm. ever been one that you got close to and, and didn't land and, and it kind of uh, you lost a little sleep about? <laughs> I don't know about losing sleep, but I feel like that happens. You know, it is, it's like a process. Like you're really getting to know them throughout the process. And then if they choose to go somewhere else, like for me, you know, I want that person to make the choice that's best for them. And ideally I think that's Florida, you know, but clearly I'm a little biased. So when they choose to go somewhere else, you know, I, I oftentimes see them, you know, if we're playing against them, which is most of the time and, you know, try to be, as cordial as possible. I never really understood it when people get mad, when people decide to go somewhere else. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into someone making a decision. You know, the coach is just one of them and I know it's an important one, but I still think that, uh, you know, you have to respect people's decisions once they finally make them. And Becky, talk to us a little bit. Um, I, I think of your alumna 
on your team. Um, <laughs> Abby Abby Wambach is probably the name that is is probably most familiar, at least most recently. Uh, what was she like to coach, and, and what has that experience been like watching her, you know, perform as well as she did at the University of Florida, but ultimately blossom into you know one of the top women's soccer figures in, in the world. Yeah, that's been really cool, and in even you know, past her playing days, because Abby's now retired, but seeing her work as an activist um, on so many fronts, like, and an author, like, she's just, she's done amazing things, and it is really cool to watch, but let me tell you, coaching Abby was, uh, was a challenge, you know, Abby enjoyed her, her collegiate experience, Um, that's a euphemism, Um, and I think she (laughs) she really, uh, she, she took advantage of all that UF had to offer, let's put it that way, but she also gave so much to our program. You know, I mean, she, you know, she was a freshman the year that we won the national championship and you paired her with Danielle Fotopoulos up top, who is still the NCAA's leading goal scorer of all time in a record that may never get broken. Uh, Those two were just tough to beat. So talk to us a little bit, Becky, uh, or Becky about Gabby Seiler, obviously, you know, in a, in a similar Mm -hmm. fashion, Abby Wambach, you know, grew, um, you know, and is really starting to make or made a name for herself. And now uh, Gabby Sire is making a name for herself uh, nationally. Touch us a, a little bit about coaching her. And did was she the same type of player or what was your experience? Really different, really different. Um, Gabby, Gabby was a player that, you know, initially she transferred to us from Georgia, which meant she had to sit out a year. And that's a big oh, sacrifice to make at that point. Um, and so when she came, you know, I knew she was really serious about getting better. I knew she was serious about being a pro because that was a main part of the reason that she made the decision to transfer. And, um, you know, her career got off to a bit of a rocky start because as she got drafted, she got injured. She was actually playing basketball here at Florida too, which, I mean, how many athletes are good enough to play two sports at this level? That's pretty amazing. Um, but you know, she's come back strong and she's playing for the Portland Thorns, which is one of the best franchises in the pro league for women's soccer. She's also been like really outspoken about like mental health issues for athletes. And I think she's been a big advocate for people, you know, really speaking up about those issues, which I think in the past have been kind of quiet. And now it's, it's pretty cool to see someone of her stature sort of bringing that to light a little bit. Hey, coach, it's Hamad. So I know uh, um, training is was rigorous um, at University of Florida. We had Coach Mickey Marotti in there and, um, you know, with that oh, staff. Yeah. And it was, it, yeah, you know how it used to go. It's crazy in there. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, you know, coming from from that magnitude of working out and training, um, what can you tell a young young lady who's, you know, aspiring to be a Gator soccer player one day? Um, how will she train or look forward to training to prepare herself to get to, to the level of the, where the Gators are? Well, I would say it's probably the same as in all sports uh, at Florida. It's not for everybody. Um, you know, I think it requires a certain level of accountability to yourself to make sure that you it's really not like, let me get in shape for the season. It's kind of like letting me deepen my fitness base the four years I'm here and beyond because it's going to take that to continue to compete, you know, and our sport is, it's a, it's a rugged sport when it comes to physicality, as well as just the fitness needed to play 90 minutes without any timeouts. And, you know, it's, it's in the fall. I mean, we all know how hot and humid and crazy it is here during that time. 
Sure. So, you know, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. And there's just no two ways about it. You can't, you can't do that, you know, in a short turnaround. It takes a real like lifestyle commitment. I, now, I know in, in, in football, um, usually it's Florida, uh, Texas, and California are the big football states, um, especially for like recruiting and whatnot. What, what's a big state for soccer um, recruiting? And is, and is like, uh, like AAU soccer, like club soccer um, more important mm-hmm. than soccer? Well, it's funny you mentioned those states that you mentioned because those are those are very big states in soccer too, very much so. Um, Texas and California are the two uh, for sure that are have the most talent. Um, And club soccer is where it's at. Like we go to high school games occasionally, but you know, with club soccer, you just have the ability to take all the best players from a particular area and put them together and then play against the same teams that are doing it all across the country. And so, you know, as much as I love high school sports, and I think high school sports does have a lot of value still because you're playing with people that are four years older than you sometimes, whereas in club soccer, it's like single age groups. Um, You know, we spend the majority of our time in club. What's your What's your opinion on um, There's been a lot of a lot of stuff in the news about uh, women's pay in, in soccer and versus the men's. What's your What's your take on that? Well, that's like a that's such a big subject because you know there's been a lawsuit with the U.S. Women's National Team, and um, there's been a lot of other countries where the equal pay issue has been addressed, and it's hard because it's it's not really about equal pay because the men's national team and the women's national team are very different. You know, our women's national team has been very successful, qualified for all the World Cups, Olympics, um, and the men have yet to have that level of success. So, you know, it's just, it is a little bit different. Um, and even the same type of pay isn't necessarily what the women are trying to seek because there's pay for every performance you know, every time you perform, there's pay for results. Like if you win, if you appear, all those things. And then there's also pay for uh, being a contracted player on the national team, which is a year round commitment. So it's, it's a really complicated subject. I've been following it pretty closely because it definitely affects, you know, some of our players that are trying to go in that direction in the future. But I don't think it's a very clear issue to say, you know, it should be equal pay. I think there should be equity in the pay between the two but i don't know right. if you can really get to equal right becky i want to talk to you about some of the other things that you are are doing outside of the soccer field and i know that you've been doing a lot of speaking uh, over the last number of years on on leadership uh courage teamwork um personal growth tell us a little bit more about about that program and and what you're what you're doing what you're talking about and ultimately what your your goal or and mission is for that well, I'm glad you asked that because it's uh, it actually started at Florida. Um, I met this basketball guy. His name is Brett Ledbetter, and I brought him to UF to work with my team after we met. And then a couple of the other teams started to really like what we did. And then we started this head coaches collaboration where we meet once a month as head coaches. And we sort of do like a case study on another coach or an athletic person. It could be a pro coach. It could be a college coach. Um, it could be a college athlete. But it's really been so gratifying because, um, you, you know, there's a smart room when you got all the head coaches at Florida together. I mean, just think of the talent in that room. And then we decided to think, okay, if we did this at Florida, what would it be like if we started a national conversation about this? So we started a conference. It's just called the what drives winning conference. 
and it moves around. We've had it in St. Louis, Boston, Chicago, um, but we just bring the best minds in sports together and sort of talk about these different topics like priority alignment, character development, um, how do you create an environment where people can do their best work. And I think it's the best part about our conference. It's not about really giving answers. It's about just having great conversation and asking good questions around it and just learning from each other. And it's been really rewarding. I've, I've really enjoyed my involvement with it. What's been your, I guess, most memorable experience from that, whether it was a speech that you heard or mm. a speech that you gave, uh, or, or what is something that I guess you have, you know, you can look back on and say, wow, I'm really proud of that. You know, I've really enjoyed getting out of my sport and meeting coaches from other sports and learning from coaches from other sports, because I think sometimes there's just like, you know, this idea that we go to our coaches convention and we talk to other soccer people and all that, but, you know, like being able to, you know, be behind the scenes with like Brad Stevens of the Celtics or Gino Ariema with UConn women's basketball or Mike Gundy with Oklahoma state football, like it's just really, really interesting to listen to them. And, you know, it's been also very cool to see the access that they have given me to be able to, you know, explore what they do in their programs and see how that applies to mine. And um, I think that's probably been my most surprising memory of that is that like you would have expected there to be a lot more closed doors, but instead there's been just a lot of people who have been very welcoming and, and very interested in collaborating and not just being a one-way street either. Hey, my, this past year was my first year. Uh, I've never been a soccer fan, never been into it. My son wanted to play soccer, so I put him in soccer last year. And it's the most exciting. Like, I've never been to a professional soccer game or a college soccer game, but toddler soccer games are lit. I had a great time every <laughs> week. I was like that extra excited dad, way too. I'm, I'm, I'm yelling goal and sliding across the field with him. Um, <laughs> Love that. I'm telling yeah. you, like, if, you know, people who think college football has, like, all this pageantry and passion and all that, like, you just need to go expand your mind a little bit and see, like, a English Premier League or La Liga or any of these leagues around the world. I mean, it is crazy when you go into a stadium and you see the the support and passion. I mean, these are things, like, it's like, it's like Gators, like, times 10 because these people, like – they're generationally living through a team, you know, like it's their kids, grandkids, grandparents, everybody is all into this. I mean, and it's just so, it's so fun. I've been watching this series on um, during this quarantine, you know, more time to watch TV, which is probably not good, but there's one called uh, this is football. It's on Amazon prime and it's about soccer, not football, but it's um, about football, soccer around the world. And it's been, it's been really cool just to see the impact that a sport like soccer has because it needs very little equipment. Anybody can play. Size is not a huge factor. You can be, you know, six foot five and amazing. You can be messy. Who's five foot five and amazing. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's just a really fun sport to get involved with. It really is. It really is. Um, exciting. I ain't gonna lie. I don't think I ever told you guys this, uh, uh, coach Becky, this is a mod. Um, so when I was too young to play football, right, I was I was five uh -huh. and I wanted to, you know, I played baseball or T-ball at the time and I played basketball. But, you know, I wanted to play football, but I wasn't old enough. So I played a year of soccer. 
When I tell you I was the biggest ball hog ever, like I just, I, just, I was, I was so athletic, so I just, I got no, it. And no I, surprise. Yeah, I, 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 and, look, and obviously a bunch of humility too. Yeah. Well, you know the and best Dan, thing about I, I, soccer. I was five, Dan, so you know. <laughs> it did, it takes you to any sport because the footwork involved, like just it's yeah. so transferable to right. any yeah. sport. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. Like even like a lot of the, you know, the, the nationally ranked tennis players like Nadal, Federer, um, Boris Becker, like all those guys played soccer, you know, because it's just such a transferable skill. Yeah. Yeah. The cool. skills are, 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 are crazy. Uh, just watching like my son's very athletic. So watching him catch on to it and start doing this, the little tricks and stuff and, and passing and dribbling the ball. And, and I, I'm, like just watching it happen, like it's a, it's a dope sport, and, and the, the the culture around it is dope too, man. Just being at those games, uh, he played the neighborhood he plays in the park is in a uh, very populated of, of Hispanics, so there's mm-hmm. tents out there, there's grills. It's like oh, I it's bet an that's event. an awesome environment. Yeah, it's yeah. an event every Saturday morning, man. So I'm excited about that every fall. Now we haven't gotten into football yet, but we have in the soccer. You love it, man. So I'm looking forward to that. I just want to share that with you. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. I love the fact that you're a fan. I love it. Well, Becky, thank you so much. Is there anywhere uh, online where people can can follow you? Obviously, you know the the women's soccer program as well. Uh, but about your your leadership uh, program as well. Um, well, I mean, my my handle on all my social media is just at Becky Burley, real creative. Um, but um, you know, there's a lot of like if you're if you're a coach or if you're a leader of people or if you're doing anything where you're leading people, um, our What Drives Winning site, which is just at WDW Convo, like conversation, mm-hmm. has all these free uh, resources, free videos, all sorts of stuff from coaches of every sport. You know. Um, you going from Bill Belichick to PJ Fleck to Brad Stevens to nice. Patty Gasso. I mean, everybody's on there. So it's really cool just to check out those videos and um, learn a lot from all these people in a tree. So at WDW Convo. I love it. Well, Becky, thank you so, so much for coming on and joining us this evening. Uh, we look forward to having you on. Hopefully you guys can play in the fall. Uh, we'll be rooting for you. Yeah, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that. Thanks. Uh, we, we want football to play, too, really bad. <laughs> we want all of them to play. Oh, absolutely. Go Gators. Exactly. exactly. Right. Thanks. Go Gators. Thank you. Go Gators. Very good. Becky Burley. That was fun, man. Yeah, She's bro. good. Yeah. I like these these non football coach interviews. They're yeah, um, man. They just drive a different. Fun. They drive a different energy. They they don't always get the recognition that they deserve. Well, uh, well, I I think all of them have in common is that I mean they're so passionate about their sport and, and, and what they do and their craft. You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, you know they they, they all have the the winning mentality somewhat in mind. Um, it was cool to see different different uh, ways of going about winning and, and about championships and about working hard in practice. Um, it, each coach has a, has a different different way of going about it. So it's cool. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the everything school. So we got to expose everything, every sport. Uh, we want to hear about it. Put a, put a, uh, a voice to these programs. So you kind of hear, you know what I'm saying? And if you don't follow it uh, closely, at least, at least follow it from afar, right? Yeah, right. absolutely. Root them on and, and root, root the ladies on. So uh, with that in mind, what if we got another unsung hero in Gator coaching, Amanda O'Leary, who was the first coach of the lacrosse program as well. So uh, let's get Amanda O'Leary on and let's chop it up with her for a bit. Let's go.
Uh, our next guest is brought to you by Brown Insurance and Financial Services. Anything you need insured from the panhandle to the keys, hit my man Greg up, 954-589-2204. Uh, my man Greg is great with customer service uh, from the start to the finish. He's going to hook you up, walk you through the process, uh, get your insurance cards out to you. you have any questions, he's going to be there at the flick of a text. Um, great customer service. I'm a, I'm a customer. Um uh, my family's a customer. Everybody else on the big three roll up with customers of Greg. Great dude. Uh, if you need in homes insured, auto, anything you need insured, life, you need financial services, hit my man Greg up. 954-589-2204. Big coverage. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is the first and only women's lacrosse coach ever at the University of Florida, Amanda O'Leary. Amanda, how are you this evening? Oh, I'm doing really well. Um, actually, my daughter coerced me into um, going to the stadium this afternoon. So my muscles aren't feeling that great. Um, but otherwise, having a, having a great day. I love it. I love it. Well, Amanda, we, we just had Becky Burley on the line. Uh, and similar to, to her, you found pretty quick and immediate success when you came to Florida. Uh, you were the head coach uh, at Yale for, for quite some time. Um, and then you ultimately ended up at, at Florida. You know, Florida uh, under Jeremy Foley brought women's across on as a new sport. Talk to us about how you ended up at Florida and then what that experience has been like so far. Yeah, I mean, really quickly, just um, was at Yale for 14 years, um, and then um, the Florida job opened up, and it was like a dream come true. Uh, it's a, I mean, when I did the research, I mean, the the facilities were phenomenal um, academically. It was, you know, it was off the charts, and you know, athletically, they had, you know, not only some of the best complete athletic teams, but also female athletic teams. Um, they were just at, they were the best. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty easy decision for me to make. Um, and especially, I don't know if any of you have ever lived up North, um, in Connecticut, but it's a wee bit cold, um, for majority of the year. So the Florida sunshine wasn't, uh, wasn't too hard of a sell either. So decided to, move my family down here and uh I, I don't regret it ever. I love it. And you were you were fortunate, I guess, uh to be one of the the only people that have probably ever been able to architect a program from the start, from building a new stadium to, you know, recruiting the first class. What were you looking for when you and Jeremy Foley and the rest of the folks, whether it be on the Title IX committee or the rest of the the folks that worked in the athletic department to build that facility and what that might look like? And then ultimately, how did you begin to recruit and convince you know folks to to come play at a school all the way down south where where a sport that's mainly played in the Northeast? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Jeremy was awesome. Um, he he basically said, we're not going to build you the Taj Mahal of lacrosse complexes, but it's going to be pretty nice. And if anybody has ever been to our facility, it is certainly the Taj Mahal of lacrosse facilities. So um, he did more than than deliver on, on his promises. Um, it's a fantastic facility. But, you know, there was just so many people involved. And, you know, there was... Uh, 
everybody just had a had a part in it. And I think the wonderful thing for me as a coach was the ability to, you know, kind of say what I had seen around the country and what I liked about different facilities, what I didn't like. And then, you know, the architect kind of took all of that. Um, and then obviously we had a fantastic facilities group um, already on campus and they added their piece. And, you know, we ended up with just this fantastic, fantastic facility. And, you know, the interesting thing was, you know, the recruiting piece, because a majority of lacrosse players at that time mostly came from the the mid-Atlantic region, the Maryland, the Virginia, um, and then the Northeast. So you had Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. Um, so, you know, the challenge was how we were going to get, you know, players to actually leave home to come, you know, to, to come to college. And, uh, and I think when we first got our first recruit, Brittany DeShields, I think the, everything just fell into place after that. She was a, a big name, um, and a big recruit. And I think after that, you know, after, you know, we got the kids on campus for recruiting visits, um, they just fell in love with it. Um, and, you know, we were, we were lucky enough to have a fantastic first class, um, that we were able to recruit and, um, they just started us on a, on a big time winning tradition. So we, we were, I felt really blessed in the sense that, you know, we were able to get a really good product on the field, um, in that first year. And that certainly, you know, helped with recruiting years after that. Coach, uh, this is Ahmad Black. So I, you know, I was here at UF 07 to 10, um, and I, I kind of saw you, you ladies get started. Um, it was super cool to watch, super, you know, super cool to see it all, it all come together and whatnot. Um, talk about what was the biggest obstacle um, when you came to the University of Florida um, during that, like, that first, second year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was just the introduction of the sport. I mean, um, people here in Gainesville, didn't know what lacrosse really was. Um, as a matter of fact, I think the the first shirts that we had embroidered actually spelled it with a capital L, a lowercase a, and a capital C, just like the town lacrosse. Um, so we were, we had a little bit of education um, to to do, um, but everybody was just I think you know they were they were so embracing of you know this new sport and you know nobody kind of in the stands knew the rules or anything but they liked wow. how fast paced the game was and um so wow. I, I think one of the challenges was just I, we did a lot of um i guess if you will like circuit um speaking engagements so we went around to all the different gator clubs and um the lions club and um, you know, all these different places, just trying to educate people on what the sport actually entailed. And so I think that, that was probably the, the biggest challenge is people were like, it's a big butterfly net. And I was like, no, no, no. Well, it kind of looks like that, but it's, it's, it's kind of soccer up in the air and that, yeah, we got go. a lot of kind of awkward head tilts, but <laughs> it, yep. it worked out well in the end. So we had a uh, coach Becky on here earlier. Um, and we talked about, you know, the rigorous training that uh, the, the various sports such as football, soccer, basketball have to do in the off season, um, especially if you want to be a, a, a Gator, you know, and, and play for the for the, yeah. the the University of Florida and play for that Gator standard that we always talk about and um, have that, that Gator head on your clothes. So, what, you know, talk about the training that you that one would have to do to, to, to be 
um, a collegiate athlete and play lacrosse at a place like uh, University of Florida? Yeah, I mean, our sport, um, it's a it's a big time running sport. Um, so we have to do a lot of a lot of conditioning. So um, they'll do, you know, our, we have a, a new strength and conditioning coach, Tracy Zimmer. Um, she's done a fantastic job, um, but she'll get them out there and, and they'll do a lot of um, kind of we do the man U, which is very similar to what Becky does, um, like the beep test, uh, but they'll have to do a ton of, of conditioning. And then obviously, you know, we have to also get in the weight room because, you know, we, it's a power sport as well. Um, we, we kind of have to be able to throw the ball really fast. Um, we have to be able to kind of hold out attackers and drive through defenders. So, um, it kind of is an interesting sport that it kind of entails a lot of a lot of different sports, um, but our strength and conditioning is is very very intense. Um, and as I said, I went to the stadium today, and our our kids do the stadiums. I don't know if you did stadiums with oh, was yeah. Mickey your strength coach back in the yeah, day? So, yeah. So so for every game we lost. So my my uh, freshman year we lost four games, and we had to touch every step in that stadium for every game we lost. <laughs> So the next two years, my sophomore, my sophomore year is when we won a national championship. My junior year is when we went thirteen and one again. So we tried to avoid every, you know, after that all season where we had four of them, we we kind of avoided losing for a while. So I think that's what it was. <laughs> I I would certainly try to avoid it as well, but you know, it's always nice as a coach when you know you're standing down there and you know your kids are running the stadiums here and like you got it, you can do right. it, you got it, and then. You know, me tonight, I'm, like, hanging off of the portal. So, I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrible. This is yeah, terrible. So, so you, this now you know how it's right? Same. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Amanda. Yeah. You, Amanda, you coached at uh, Yale in the Ivy League, and lacrosse is really big in the Ivy League. Why is it such a big Ivy League sport and not, like, as big in, like, SEC country? You know, I think it's just it. Oh, it started up in the you know kind of in the Philadelphia area and kind of grew from there. And I just don't think it it just it didn't spread. Um, I think um, as far as we would have liked um, in the in the beginning of the you know in the, in its in its infancy stages. I think you know now we're we're seeing lacrosse being played in California, out in Colorado, like it's Utah. Um, so we're we're seeing a little bit you know, more of a, a broad, a broadening of that, of that region of where lacrosse is being played. But it, it just, it was really centralized um, for a really, really long time. Um, and I, I don't know why um, it, it didn't see the, the growth, um, but, you know, field hockey there, you know, we had huge numbers of, of field hockey teams up in the mid Atlantic and, you know, field hockey is kind of unheard of in the South. So, I just think there's just certain sports that, you know, I, I think once Florida, you know, saw the sport and saw how much fun it was and a lot of girls love playing it. So I think we're, we're seeing that growth now, but, you know, I, I wish it would have happened many, many years ago. I mean, I grew up in South Florida and there's a lot of people from the Northeast and the mid Atlantic that are down there. And so lacrosse is, is substantially bigger in, in South Florida, I feel like than it is in a lot of the other parts of Florida. Have you noticed, uh, being the head coach at the university of Florida, uh, that spreading a bit more across the state or, or are you still predominantly having to go out of area to, to recruit? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I we're still having to go um, predominantly out of out of the region of Florida, out of the state, um, just because again, it's it's still growing down here. But it is, I mean, it's getting it's getting better and better. And you know, we are recruiting more kids from the state of Florida. Um, but the I would say the majority of our of our team, you know, is still is still from kind of those the New York, the Maryland um, areas. With it being just such a uh, a physical game, and it mimics a lot of other sports, do you think it eventually get big in the South? Because I've seen I like dancing, so. I mean, I've seen the popularity grow like quite a bit in the last few years. Like my son's been asking about about playing it, and it's just a sport that I didn't see as a kid growing up. Like those opportunities went there, and it's a whole new thing. Do you do you see that being a bigger sport in the future? I do, I do. I, I think you know, on the boys' side, I mean, who doesn't love hitting somebody with a stick, um, legally. So, I mean, right. I, I think on the boys side, it, it definitely is, is taking off. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of on the girls side, I mean, it does, it, it involves kind of, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of basketball moves, you know, we do a lot of two man game, we do, mm-hmm. you know, picks and rolls, uh, and then, you know, defensively, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit more like soccer where you can, you know, well, we're allowed to kind of use our sticks, but you know, it's kind of like a, a sunken in defense. Um, and it's really fast paced. And so I think it, it is intriguing for, for, you know, boys and girls to be able to pick it up and, you know, kind of a lot of really great athletes um, love the sport because it involves so many different, you know, elements that that they're just, you know, so attuned to. So it's, I think we're going to see a, a big growth. Um, you know, I just wish the sport wasn't so expensive. You know, sticks are expensive, are expensive. Um, you know, there's just a, there, it's just a bigger expense, um, I think. And that's probably one of the, you know, one of the, the things that we're trying to work on as a, you know, as a coaching group is how do we lessen the cost so more people have the opportunity to play. All right. Is most of your recruiting done in Northeast? Yeah, it is. Um, so it, it usually, I mean, in the beginning, I, I probably had, you know, 90% of the team from Maryland and New York those two primary states. Um, but now we, you know, I have a, I have a player from Washington. Um, we have, you know, players coming in from, you know, kind of all over the country, uh, to, to play. So we are seeing that, you know, our recruiting is becoming, you know, more, um, more broad, uh, if you will. And, and that's a good thing, you know, cause there's a lot of great players, uh, across the country. Um, like, get us familiarize us with your, uh, the captains on your team. Tell us, tell us a little, little bit about them. Yeah, so um, we have Kara Trombetta. So she's a, she's a she's going to come back for her fifth year. Obviously, with this whole you know COVID situation, um, we're allowed to have our our seniors come back um, for their fifth year. So she'll be she'll be returning for her fifth year. She's an All American. Um, she's kind of our our leader, uh, she's just a, you know, just a phenomenal player. Um, she's from New York, uh, really, a you know, she's a tough kid. She's a, she's a really tough kid. Um, and then another, another player we have is a, she'll be a senior next year. Um, Shannon Cavanaugh, she also is a, is an All-American. Uh, she also is from Long Island. She's again, just a, she's kind of, um, 
she's like the, the best of both worlds because she plays the midfield. So she plays on offense. She plays on defense. Um, she's the kid that, you know, you want the, the ball in, in her stick. Um, so, you know, those two will be, those two will be returning. Um, thank goodness. And actually with, you know, with being able to bring back, you know, the, the seniors for the fifth year, um, we're, we're not really losing any starters, um, from, from last year's team. So, um, excited about that. So what type of, uh, season you're expecting with, with all those players returning? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I'm excited. I, you know, it was, it was kind of, um, shocking when, when the season ended abruptly, um, that was kind of a, you know, kind of a crazy thing. So, you know, yeah once we kind of got over the shock of, okay, you, you all have to go home. Um, and now we're, now we're kind of, you know, evaluating what next year is going to look like knowing that this year is, you know, kind of done. And I, I think we're, you know, we were, we beat the number one, we beat the number three ranked team in the country. So we were poised to, you know, I thought to, to go far into the tournament. Um, so it was a little disappointing having our season cut short, but the opportunity to come back hopefully next year, um, better, stronger, faster. Um, that's exciting for us. Right. Amanda, what do you look for besides obviously athleticism when you're recruiting uh, these players? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, the first one is, you know, you already said the athleticism. I mean, you can teach kids how to, you know, how to throw, how to catch, but you know, if they have speed, speed kills. So you, you gotta, you know, you have to have kids that have, you know, have some speed to them. Um, they have to have, I think some, some physical toughness, uh, you know, because it is a tough sport. They're going to get a hit. They're going to get knocked down. Um, they're going to need to bounce back up and, and get, get back at it. Um, and they need to be disciplined. I mean, it's a, it's a grueling sport, uh, you know, and it's, it's a lot of, as we already talked about, it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, beating on your body and, and, you know, with just the whole conditioning. Um, so we, we look for discipline. We look for kids that, you know, have still the passion for the game and, uh, and yeah, there we go. If we can get that whole package, we're in good shape. Absolutely. Um, Amanda, you have, done an incredible job at the university of florida you made the ncaa tournament i think every year right uh that you guys were eligible yeah. you've been a champion you've been strangely in three conferences um over the last <laughs> decade or so uh you've won coach of the year you've won you've been champions in that what looking back over the last let's just say decade or so have you been uh, most proud of or what are some of the things that really stick out in your mind you know, I think for every coach, I think you're you're most proud of of the players when they come in. The girls come in as you know as freshmen, and then when they walk across that graduation stage to the women they become, it, that's my most proud moment. Um, and I think you know, as coaches, we 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 get to see that. We get to see that progress. We get to watch them. You know, and we probably spend more time than anybody um, with these, with these student athletes and just getting to know them and then watching their growth, not only on the athletic field, but in the classroom and then in the community and then, you know, what they accomplish after they graduate. I, I think that 
that's my most proud moment. I love it. I love it. Well, Amanda, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to watch you over the last 12 years since I was an undergrad with Ahmad uh, and me getting to meet you when, when you had just gotten to Gainesville. So it's been awesome to watch you represent the University of Florida. Where can people follow you and your team on social media so they can keep up with you guys when uh, when season starts again? Yeah, it's it's Gator Lax. Um, it's it's under the, the Florida Gators. Um so anything um we would we would absolutely love to get more fans out there. Um and so yeah, that would be that would be fantastic. Absolutely. And if you guys are ever back in the stadium, I'll be the one that's hanging on to the to the portal of thirty five because that's where I was today when that workout. So <laughs> for me. I'm yeah, down to check it. out a game. I'm down to check out a game next season. Yeah, that's another, that's that's another, that's awesome. A, that would be great. That's a hell of a We'll get you front row seats. That's a hell of a oh, There you go. go. Hey, don't, don't, don't <laughs> you're, you're speaking his language now. Yeah, man. VIP service Wait, is my love language. Free. And it's oh, very free. good. It is free. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we I'm do serve it. alcohol. I don't know if that helps. What? Oh, yeah, I am sold. Yeah, yeah, you you yeah. sold me. I was already about to buy, but you you got me. I'm a customer. I, 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 I am I, there. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're one of the few places on that campus that, that like serves it. alcohol at their games. So I think you just got a customer. <laughs> yeah, we pulling up. Stay McGill next season. Amanda, we really appreciate go. your time this evening. Thank you so so much for uh, for coming on the show, and we'll be rooting for you, and we'll hopefully have you on in the future. All right, fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. Have a great Thank day. you. Have a go good one. All right. Bye bye. These interviews are fun, man. Now, we had they the different coach. energy. They, they get hit all different. these coaches, bro. Yeah. It's, it's super dope. I'm telling you, it's super dope to get another sport on because it, like, it's something that we don't always talk about. You know, everybody be quick right. to get on Twitter and talk about football or basketball, you know. And, man, we, we, we're everything school. We, are, we always throw it around, but we, we literally are. Yeah, so. and we, we got Mike Holloway next week. Oh, that's what, that's what I'm talking about right there. Dan, you've been working lately. Let's give you a raise, Got to get, get my paycheck, yeah. Talk to HR. Give me a raise. I got you, bro. Spe- it, speaking of which, Soak, I think it's time for your favorite ad read. Oh, man. Our next interview is brought to you by the good folks at Manscaped. This is my favorite ad read. I like getting into this. I got a lot of DMs about this ad read. Fellas, y'all out here grooming yourselves. You got to groom yourself. It's the way of the land. You got to take care of your body. Um, everybody's excited about the barbershops opening back up, and I get it. Everybody getting fades. But the barber cannot trend them balls. He cannot fade your balls. He cannot edge them up. And you got to manicure and take care of yourself. You got to groom. Sunday is self-care. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Sundays, we groom these balls. So uh, my, my people at Manscaped, they made a, a the perfect solution for this issue. The Lawnmower 3.0. Uh, go and check it out. Uh, one of the greatest trimmers ever made. I haven't got it yet. I haven't used it yet, but that's the word on the streets. Now, I can only give you the word of the streets. And the word on the streets from Unk is that the lawnmower 3.0 is the way to go if you want to trim them balls. Coupon code SG is the vibes, man. Go there and use coupon code SG. 20% off. We ready? Let's hang out with Kevin Carter, baby. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale.
and then joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gales uh, is a Gator legend, uh, former first-round pick, uh, had an illustrious career uh, at the University of Florida, illustrious career in the NFL, uh, and is now um, on the SC Network. Uh, given his takes on, on college football uh, and the like every single uh, what every single week. So, uh, Kevin Carter, it's a pleasure to uh, to have you on. Uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to chat with you this evening. Cool. Thanks for having me. Kevin, you are probably amongst the top five most uh, requested guests that we ever get, uh, you know, for this show. Uh, take us back. You grew up uh, or you were you're going to school, high school in Tallahassee, but you ended up uh, at the University of Florida. How did that happen? Talk to us a little bit about your recruitment. Um, first, I have to correct you because, you know, we uh, members of the media, you know, we change hats all the time. So um I have to let you know that three years ago I was fired by the SEC Network and ESPN, oh. and and, um, and I'm now with uh, CBS Sports. That's oh, what really? it is. I know. I know. I watch you. Sorry, my apologies. No, you're good. You're <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Got to make sure you know this goes out, and I can't yeah. can't be misrepresenting. You know. So, um, but back to your question. Um, you know, I grew up in Tallahassee, and I actually grew up, you know, going to FAMU games. And I was a huge Georgia Bulldogs fan. Um, everything Herschel Walker. Man, I had Georgia Bulldog like sweatpants and like sweatshirts and everything else and hats. And I had a big poster of Herschel Walker on my wall. Like I was, for all intents and purposes, if I was ever going to play football, I was going to Georgia. So like that was my favorite school growing up. Um, but when I started getting recruited, I played football, you know, only a couple of years in high school. And FSU was, was all over me. It was a great program. I mean, you really couldn't go wrong you know, in the early 90s, going to Florida, Florida State, or Miami. They were all, you know, top 10 programs at the time. And for me, you know, it, it came down to what I wanted academically and just, you know, the feel of visiting and, and, and finding, you know, your bees, finding your flock, finding the guys that are like-minded and think like you and a place where you could really call home. You know, for me, when I met Steve Spurrier, you know, he captivated me in a way that, you know, a few other head coaches did. I was impressed with Lou Holtz. He was dynamic. He was electric. He was an amazing speaker. You know, he did the whole tearing the newspaper up in front of you type trick on, on the recruiting trip. I mean, I was told <laughs> Notre Dame, you know, Bobby Bowden was an amazing man. I mean, just, you know, a father figure that, you know, person you want to go out there and, and play your heart out for because you know how much he loves you and how much he'll do for you. Tom Osborne at, at, at Nebraska at the time, was the same type of man. You know, I had all these great choices in front of me. But when, you know, when Steve Spurrier came to my, um, came to my, to, to my living room and sat down with me, he was, real, he was real simple about it. He says, you know, we got a lot of great players um, here in Florida. We have a you know, longstanding defensive tradition of, of turning out guys that can go first round, you know, out of this program. You're one of those guys, he says, and you can come here and kind of be the jewel of the bunch and, and, and be with a lot of great guys. And if you commit, you know, a lot of guys are going to follow you. And, um, and he says, or you can go somewhere else and just get, you know, just get beat by us. <laughs> I like that. He was what? Forward, and I, and I, I loved it. And, um, and, you know, that was, you know, the rest is history. Well, we can look back at Florida now and Florida over the last, you know, three decades or so has is about as much success as, as any college football program uh, has had. But when you were being recruited by Steve Spurrier, Florida was just kind of coming back. And, and Steve Spurrier was in, what, his second year when he when he was recruiting you. 
besides obviously him selling you and being a guy that, you know, you know, really sold you on the program. What else was it about Florida that you could say, Hey, this is a program that I know I can go to. Uh, and I see the opportunity to not only be successful for, for yourself, uh, but you had only, you know, played a couple years, uh, of, of organized football. So, you know, to go in and, and give that, that opportunity to develop your career as well. Well, I was looking for everything. I was looking for the type of package that could offer me something academically and also have the type of connections, you know, for my life after football. I mean, you know, everyone has dreams of playing in the NFL and and being famous and everything else, but it doesn't always work out. For me at the time, I was a good student. I, you know, had about a 3.8 GPA out of high school. I did pretty well on my SAT. I was looking for a place that had, you know, a medical program, a pharmaco- um, pharmacological research program that could get me into pharmacy school and, you know, and get me into the field that I wanted to do as far as work. And, and for me, you know, those two programs, it came down to Notre Dame and, and Florida for me. So looking at the two programs from an academic standpoint, you know, there was no question what I was going to choose as far as where I wanted to go. But Florida had a different appeal. I mean, Florida had this, had this tradition, but it was a place that, you know, you look at all the great players that have come out of Florida and you're like, how have they never won the SEC? How have they never won a national title? I mean, how can you have all these great players? I mean, over the years, you know, the 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 Emma Smiths, the Trace Armstrongs, the, the the people like that of the world, you know, the 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 Neil Andersons. I mean, and just player after player after player that are first round, you know, longstanding players in the NFL. And and you're like, haven't they won before? You know, and it and it and so to me, it, it when Coach Spurrier came there. To me, he brought, you know, that missing piece of, of, of what Florida needed, that swagger, that attitude, that expectation um, to be great. And for me, as a young man, I mean, I was, that was infectious. That's one of those things, man, that, you know, you want a coach that's just a little bit cocky and he's a little bit arrogant about what he can do and about what he can produce. And, you know, I was a young, impressionable young man at the time. And, you know, you have to choose the type of men that you're going to be around as well. I mean, the guy that recruited me was a guy named Bob Sanders. You know, salt of the earth, you know, great guy. You know, Coach Zook was there. Um, Carl Franks was there. Um, you know, my position coach when I got there was Charlie Strong. I mean, mm. I'm telling you, man, strong coaching trees, good people at Florida. And, you know, when I went and took a visit there and started hanging out with, you know, the guys that were older than me, the George Rushings of the world and Kedra Malone and, you know, Mark Chet Oliver and Eric Rett. You know, all these guys were were cool and they were down and they were like, man, come on here and ball. And, you know, it was a great feeling. And everyone knows when you visit that place and you feel like home. And for me, it was Florida. So, so then talk to us about you. You enroll at Florida. You had only played organized football for, for two years uh, before that. Uh, what was your first couple weeks like in getting used to playing collegiate football? <laughs> first couple of weeks was rough, man. Um, you know, I remember not passing my conditioning test. I remember just being just more exhausted and tired than I'd ever been. I was in the transition of like, you know, I was 17 years old, but I was, you know, 6'5", 245 pounds. And I was an inside linebacker. And I got there and everyone laughed when they heard my position. And it was just a matter of time. You know, Coach, Coach Strong kept telling me, He's like, you're going to be over with me in a little bit, Carter. You know, I'm going to have you. You're going to get your hand in the ground if you want to make some money. You're going to come play D-line. And I'm like, whatever. I'm a linebacker. And uh, and so, you know, three weeks into camp, you know, I had that conversation with Coach Spurrier. 
And, you know, I'm playing well at inside linebacker. I'm having fun. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm learning and everything. I'm learning the defense. But we had, you know, a couple of injuries. We had, a, you know, I think one of our players tested positive or was or suspended for, for part of the season. And so, you know, they needed me. And so, you know, I had an opportunity to step in and, and play. So I actually got, got to play a significant amount and actually started the first couple of games um, there, you know, my, my, my true freshman year. And, you know, being on the field, man, when you're, when you're playing against, you know, Tennessee and you're 18 years old and it's, you know, it's bigger and, and brighter and, and louder than anything that you've ever experienced in your life. I mean, it was, to me, it was, it was, it was magic. I mean, I was on a defense that had, you know, like I said, Tony McCoy, Brad Culpepper, Harvey Thomas, Mike Brandon, Ephesians Bartley, Tim Paul, uh, Carlton Miles, Del Spear, mm. Will White. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just like, I mean, we had dudes on defense. And it was just, mm-hmm. I mean, Myrick Anderson, Marquette Oliver. I mean, the list goes on. And <laughs> right, right. Dudes that we had on that team, man. And it was, and, and it was great. It was, you know, I, 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 I grew up fast, you know, with a lot of great players and, those guys were, were really hungry. You know, they had been there. They had been there through the years of probation and not being able to go to bowl games. And man, they had an opportunity. And that first year, you know, Coach Furrier was awesome because in '90 he got all the guys from from that season number one in the SEC rings. You know, and because um, they couldn't actually win it because um, they were still on probation. But in '91, when we won, we won the first um, the first actual SEC title. You know, that feeling, my, my true freshman year, I mean, it was special to me because obviously I was, you know, experiencing, you know, SEC football at the highest level. My freshman year, we won an SEC title. I was, you know, just in hog heaven. But, but, but for those seniors, for those guys to have been there in the program for years and to gone through the heartbreak of, you know, being on probation and trying to forge something, you know, of an experience, man, that was so special for those guys. I remember how emotional it was. But you know, I thought that was just what we were supposed to do, you know, and, and the guys that came in with me, the Jack Jacksons, the Larry Kennedys, the Chris Dorings of the world, you know, the Ellis Johnsons, you know, that's just who we were. We we were those four and five star caliber type people that that, that Coach Spurrier was bringing in. And, you know, that became the norm and, and the just the expectation of our program. You know, you look at our program and, you know, Florida always had, you know, we passed the eye test and we had good looking athletes, but you know, man, back in 92, 93, you know, every year the guys are coming in and it's just like, man, we got a lot of dudes. Like I'm talking like my senior year, you know, you've got four freshmen that come in. A guy named, you know, Jacques Green, you know, Redell Anthony, Ike Hilliard, and a guy named Fred Taylor. You know, those guys are all true freshmen and playing, you know, my senior right. year. And that's the caliber of, of, of dudes we got coming in, you know, at almost every position. So it just... Great times, man. Great times. Real quick, real quick. You spoke about uh, growing up fast your freshman year and playing right away. Like, take us, take us to that moment. Uh, tell us what it was like, young, young freshman, uh, fresh out of high school. Uh, you, you, you're under the big lights now. What was that like, uh, on the field and off the field? You know, my biggest thing is I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to let anybody down. You know, because. Here I was asked to to change positions, so obviously they thought that I had it in me. And you know, even playing in the Florida Georgia All Star game and and playing, you know, growing up and playing with you know the Warren Saps and Derek Brooks's of the world and guys that I'd played against and played with, it's like you know everyone told me said, "Man, you're going to be a pass rusher one of these days." And I'm like, ah, you know, if I don't grow anymore, who knows? 
or whatever. And, you know, because you don't understand at that age, you know, your football IQ is limited. And the way you see the game is the only way you think that, you know, that's possible for you to play the game. And, um, and, I, and I think at that point, you know, I had a real narrow scope. And, and to change positions, to have that faith placed in me, to put me on the field so early, you know, like I look back on it and I, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, but I, but I remember being a true freshman. I remember being out there with my hand in the dirt, you know, against Tennessee and we have a one touchdown lead in the fourth quarter. And I remember, you know, being so nervous and not knowing what to do, but I, but I knew I turn the corner and hit the quarterback, you know, rush the passer, right. do what you were put in this position to do. And I actually showed my son this clip, you know, of, of me going around this, this senior tackle for University of Tennessee in an SEC game on a Saturday night and going around and hitting Andy Kelly, forcing him to throw a bad ball. He throws it high, sails it right into Larry Kennedy's arms. He takes it back for a touchdown. I remember being a part of that. And I show my son because I, I tell him, I was like, you know what? You may have this grown man body that, and people may keep telling you, oh, you're going to be great and you're going to do these things, but you're only limited to what you can wrap your mind around. And and right. and, I, and basically, I had I had I had borrowed faith from all the coaches around me and the guys that I was playing with. You know, on that defense, you know, those seniors, I didn't want to let them down. I'm I'm, I'm in the you know I'm, I'm in the huddle with Tim Paul and Ephesians Bartley, you know, screaming out the the calls, and I'm like, man, I can't screw this up because these guys, this is this is their last go around, and it's and I can tell how they practice and how hard they go and how and how much they care about their senior season and their experience. So. Just to be part of that fraternity, to you know, to join it so quickly, you know, I could see why if you were redshirted or if you weren't playing, that man, you could not wait to get your piece of the pie. You could not wait to join that that fraternity of that big F on Florida Field. You wanted to be part of that so badly, and and so for me, I got a taste early, you know, and I had big expectations, and you know, there was a lot of frustration between you know, the end of my freshman year and going into my junior year because I was just training, doing everything, listening, trying to watch film, trying to be great, trying to be the guy that everyone said would make millions of dollars someday. I wanted to be that guy right now because I thought if I didn't do all I could, I'm, I'm going to let everybody down. And I'm, and I'm looking at the, the level of talent. And, you know, they bring in Coach Tootin, you know what I'm saying, if y'all remember him. <laughs> And um and you know we we have great yeah. that's a that's a lot of pressure on a young man man yeah you know what I'm saying like that everything you're speaking of is just a lot of pressure like that's a lot of responsibility on 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 a young man fresh out of high school uh thinking about the millions thinking about the, making it to the NFL yeah. um responsibility and, and being accountable with your teammates that's a lot of pressure man it's not light it's not something easy you was doing. No, you know, and I look back on it, and and I the thing that I that, that I love about it is, you know, we can do so much more than we think we can, you know, and and right. we put a lot of pressure on these young men, you know, to grow up quickly, and you know, for them, you know, it's 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 part of what you know. It's it's, it's if you're you're out there training that hard, especially down here in the Florida heat, you know, it's like everyone's chasing that greatness, and. You know, to get that chance to be a part of it, you know, it, it means everything. But, you know, I, I can truly say that that work was done like one day at a time. You know, and then they always say concentrate on one practice at a time. But that's right. what it was. It was it was all about the grind. It was all about the, the work, because as, 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 as many great times as I had, you know, hoisting up trophies and, 
you know, at bowl games and getting getting swag and trying to, you know, get a new sweatsuit for, for the bowl game and getting your per diem and everything else. Right, right. Fun as all those memories were, man, like the thing that I miss the most is just the day-to-day being in the locker room with the guys, you know, going out to run. And, you know, you're, you're like, you got that chill running down your spine because you're like, man, I went out drinking last night and I don't know if I'm hydrated. I might lock up. <laughs> it's just it's just the, you know, that that life, man, of, of being a college athlete. There, there's, there, there's nothing there's nothing like it. And there's not a day in the NFL that we don't talk about college ball. For sure. For sure. Hey, Kev, man, I, you know, we got a lot of things in common as far as, you know, we, we, we played with the Gators and, you know, coming out of high school, we, you know, highly recruited and whatnot. Um, you know, you had a lot on your shoulders as a freshman. Talk about what you had to deal with um, as far as changes um, in college football that was different from high school. So for me, playing defensive back, I had to get adapted to the quarterbacks and the wide receiver speed. Um, what did you have to get adapted to from um, the high school game that you had to, to, to get uh, better at at the college game? You know, the one thing that I couldn't appreciate um, is how good the craft of playing on the line of scrimmage actually is. You know, and they talk about the speed of the game. And, of course, everyone's bigger, stronger, faster. But, you know, if you're that dude in high school, it's like physically you've been starving for a faster, stronger, more physical game. That's, you know, you go out every game and you're, 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 you're doing things that are superhuman and you're, you know, you're thirsty for that competition of, of playing someone who's bigger and stronger. So that wasn't, that wasn't the issue. The issue was I was so far behind with just how to use my hands and how right. to place them on people and just the, the finite craft of, of, of manip- manipulating leverage and, and body position, everything else. And, you know, I had to learn how to see the game differently because being an inside linebacker, I was used to the game, you know, coming at me and being able to go downhill keeping this, you know, this leverage in relation to the line of scrimmage, keeping it in front of me, keeping my hips square. But when you're on the defensive line, it's like you have to refine your vision because the closer you are to that pigskin, the, 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 the hotter it is. You know, you got, it, you know, you got some live bullets flying towards that ball. And, you know, you got up on the line of scrimmage, you got a guy in your face. And, you know, you have to come off and establish, you know, that leverage on every play. And so that was the biggest thing was just – how good people were with man just using their their body position and leverage. And I was a big, strong kid, but there were times where I just didn't know how to use myself. And then, you know, but I quickly learned, you know, what leverage is and what the low man, you know, low man wins and all that stuff. So I know every every game was tough. And I know you you, you spoke about the Tennessee game a lot. That's one thing we don't have in common is because I was never only seven points ahead of Tennessee in the fourth. It was kind of blowouts every time. Yeah. Um, you know, but talk, but talk about a little bit of your your second year, um, how things got off to a to a to a, a start. Um, talk about the beginning of the season and and how you prepared um, for your second season after you just came off the SEC win in the first season. Well, in '92, you know, it kind of turned out to be somewhat of a some somewhat of a rebuilding year for us. Um, you know, early in the season, we went up to Tennessee, and I remember it was my it was my 19th birthday. And we went up there and just got the tar beat out of us. Um, you know, it was that old AstroTurf. And um, it, they, they had, you know, uh, I think Reggie Cobb and, and, and Webb. And they had James Stewart. And they had a bunch of guys. And Heath Shuler was the quarterback. 
And I remember going out there that first half and just getting their brains beat in. And then the second half, it started to rain. So it was raining. They were throwing little um, little double A batteries from the from from the top <laughs> top top stop of the stands. Yeah. We had to keep our helmets on on the sideline. It was just wait 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 whoa whoa. So speak on that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so, let's not I, just escape yeah, past yeah. batteries. <laughs> batteries won. Oh yeah, say that all casually. Like so, y'all yeah. were playing at Neyland Stadium. Well, yeah. see, that's the thing. You see, you, you, so you guys see, I'm I'm old. I'm a I'm an old head. See, I, uh, <laughs> I remember those days where you had those hostels. I watched them games. I didn't see any during sales, yeah. so I, I, I got to get the, I got to get the inside of school. It happened. It was it was quickly. You know, the people were warned, but there was a couple of our guys who got belted in the head. And I remember having my helmet on and and and, and feeling and knocking things. You know, things knocking off my helmet wow. on the sideline, especially when it started to rain. When it started to rain. You know the kid gloves are off. They hated us in Neyland Stadium, and you know with with good reason because you know like the next time that I would go back there, my senior year was when we beat them thirty-one to nothing in '94. So yeah, they don't like us there, and that was just one of those things. And they 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 had our number that day, and I remember going up there, and after the game, we got on the bus, we get on the plane to to, to fly home. We had a depressurization <clears throat> in the cockpit at like thirty thousand feet, and um. <clears throat> Usually, when that happens, you have to get down to bounce out the pressure, right? Right. That's a, that's a simple explanation. But over the course of thirty seconds, <clears throat> when you're falling out of the sky, and no one has told you anything, and all all you can feel is the plane shaking, uh-huh. and you're like you're hitting a roller coaster. We we lost twenty thousand feet in like less, probably less than thirty seconds. It was, I mean, it was one of the most death-defying, like scariest things. We I, I'd ever went through. Okay, that trip was the trip that made Ellis Johnson not fly again until like years later, until he got to the NFL. Wow. Ellis Johnson after that trip, he so left. We, like, he left early with the equipment guys a day early, <laughs> and the truck. Traveled before. Oh, I like his vibes, bro. I take. <laughs> I get. I get in the bus, man. So I'm straight. Actually happened. So that's what made it made a bad day worse. Getting yeah. our brains beat in, having Duracells bashing off our helmets in the rain at Neyland Stadium, and then, and then on almost dying on the it's way crazy. back. It was a horrible trip. Okay, we had another horrible trip. Um, it was a Thursday night game this time, same year '92, that rebuilding season. We um we played Mississippi State. We we're in Stark Vegas. Okay, where the cowbells are ringing, and right. the head coach at the time was Jackie Sherrill. Okay, okay, <laughs> and, and Jackie Sherrill castrated a bull like the day before and ceremonial like you know because they were going to beat the gators and on thursday night espn game they beat the tar out of us <laughs> i'm telling you so i'm telling you 92 was a was a kind of a rebuilding year we had to make up our minds and basically you know because we lost leadership we lost you know right guys that i mentioned the tony mccoy the brad culpeppers you know the were we we lost a lot of senior leadership we still had a lot of talent but we had young talent like guys like me who had played but you know it was time for us to grow up a little bit and um and so you know who we were at the beginning of the season was 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 different um than we were at the end i mean by the end of the season we had worked our way back into an sec contention you know playing in the first ever sec title game you know there in alabama so you right. know Great year, but it was it was really a um, 
a tough year. My mindset was, you know, like I said, I had to be great. You know, I wanted to be great right then. And, you know, we had we changed strength coaches and, you know, Rich Tootin had come in and we were training different. You know, we were we had a higher expectation. You know, things were getting better and better. We were changing. We were we were that elite program. We were, we were becoming that elite program. But like I said, we had to rebuild and, and rediscover a lot of leadership uh, that season. You say you play with, uh, well, we know you play with uh, Rito and all those guys. Rito's been on the show. He hang out with us a, a little bit on Stadium Miguel. Who's the biggest personality in that locker room? Because his, his personality's big. Uh, man, you know what? There were so many guys like, like Eric Rett. You know, mm-hmm. had a had a huge personality. You know, he you know he he was, you know, state wrestling champ. You know, the two twenty or whatever heavyweight. And he he'd be challenging guys in the lounge, you know, wrestling. You know, he also had a ten foot Burmese python, you know, named Bushwick. Who, who who would win the wrestling matches? Eric Rett would would beat almost anybody. He 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 wouldn't turn anybody down. Like <laughs> he, he he was, and he could, he was he, he was folding up big linemen. I mean, he was he was a right. strong, tough dude. I mean, he was you know he's six two two twenty man, you know. Good size, but he was he was one of the toughest dudes we played against. But that that whole team was characters. I mean, you know, we had oh my goodness, Will White was probably one of the funniest people I ever been around. Um, our free safety my 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 freshman year, but I mean, you had guys like oh my goodness, Jack Jackson was hilarious. Mm. Had uh, yeah, guys like George Rushing that were just. <laughs> Who were you know who who had great personalities? We had we had guys like you know guys that were that were goofballs and laughed at themselves, but were also fun. Guys like Greg Jingaleski, you know, who was who was a great guy, who was just a character who you know who made the locker room better. You know, we had everyone on the team had a different story. You know, that's one thing about any locker room you walk into, especially football. You know, you'll never find a more eclectic group of people. Um, that are from different backgrounds than you will in a football locker room. So it, it was, you know, Florida was was no different. Uh, what was it like with, with Spurrier in the locker room? Give us a good Spurrier story. Um, you talked about the camaraderie and the brotherhood of the locker room. What was the energy like with him in the locker room? <laughs> you know, he, he was, Coach Spurrier was, um, he was fiery, you know. He wasn't, he, he wasn't like, uh, he, he was terribly competitive, you know, I remember in practice, you know, when, when he didn't like the way that, you know, Terry or Danny or Shane was running two minute, you know, he'd step in, you know, he'd take a shirt off and, you know, <laughs> tie a headband on or, you know, and, and he'd go out there and he'd run the two minute and, and he would, you know, do all the checks, all the audibles, you know, complete all the passes, you know, just totally taking what the defense gives him. And, um, you know, he, he was, he was competitive and he was fiery. He was, Competitive to a fault. I mean, I, I remember probably my my sophomore year, we beat someone, but we beat someone probably by 30 points, which was a normal thing that we did in those days. But we didn't we didn't win as impressively as we should, you know, because when the second and third team came in, we should have scored more points. And, you know, he was he was disappointed in our effort. So in a 20 point, you know, 25 point victory, we're in the stadium you know, that come the come Monday morning, we're on the stadium running, you know, snaking the whole entire stadium and doing up downs. And I'm like, you know, where the hell am I? Like what who like who does this? And I'm I'm thinking, you know, you get a victory Monday or something like that. And it it 
it wasn't that way with, with, with Coach Spurrier. And the funny thing is, you know, you, you, you didn't want Coach Spurrier to come watch film with you. Like, I heard about the horror stories of how it was on offense. You know, if you were an offensive guy, you, at one time or another, you were going to feel the wrath of Spurrier because he was going to basically, it's his offense. He knows what you're supposed to be doing on any given play because he designed the whole thing. So he's going to look at you and, and, you know, scrutinize your technique and make you feel about this small. And um, we didn't worry about that on defense uh, until he came and watched film with us one day. And, <laughs> and, that, was, and that, was, that was another thing. I mean, he just basically went position by position, just, you know, not, not, not just belittling you, but basically put, putting a microscope, you know, on your performance. And, you know, and you, you, you quickly got, you know, the, the understanding that basically what you were doing, you know, wasn't good enough because it wasn't your best, you know. And even when you think you've achieved your best, there's so much more that we can do collectively if we all raise our football IQ and we'll, you know, we'll do the little things right. And, you know, and we were, we were forging, you know, that. We were forging that identity. And, you know, there's, you know, talking about standing on the shoulders of who, who comes before you, you know, that's something that, you know, when I look back on Florida football, you know, like I brag, I say, man, you know, we got it started. I'm like, I'm like, I was back in the golden age of <laughs> Florida football. I'm like, right. you know, all them, all them guys, you know, all the, you know, I look at all these uniforms, you got all this jump man stuff, you got all this whole, you know, exclusive Nike deals, y'all just geared out and everything else. I'm like, y'all wouldn't have none of that. If we, <laughs> we put it down back in the early nineties. I'm like, I'm like, we, we established that greatness, man. And, you know, it's, but it's, but it's part of that brotherhood, you know, that's, that's the feeling and the camaraderie that I have. When I look on, you know, social media and, you know, you got old heads like me who can't wait to get a little emoji done, you know, with themselves in the little, you right, know, right. Little, you know, it's like, yeah. we dig that, man. It's just like, dude, it's like, but that's, you know, here I am at 47, you know, getting, you know, geeking out over something like that because, <laughs> because of what it means to me, because of what it, yeah. the memories that we made. So it's good yeah. stuff. So, so Kevin, over the next two years, you realize you mentioned yourself, you know, all American, all SEC, a number of times, and then you get drafted. Uh, talk to us a, a little bit of, about that, right? You're, you're a first round draft pick. You, you'd now play football for about six years. Did you, did ever in your wildest dreams did you think that would happen? You know, I I wanted it to happen, but you know, I, I didn't. You know, you, I, I said it before. I think we're limited in life to what we can wrap our mind around, mm -hmm. and for me at the time. You know, I was slowly wrapping my mind around, you know, the possibility of being one of those guys that gets his name called, you know, and plays on Sunday. Um, funny enough, you know, my after my sophomore year, we were playing against Alabama and I'm on the field. And after the game, <clears throat> there were two defensive ends that played for Alabama at the time, Curry and Copeland. And they were some bad dudes. And, you know, everyone knew they were all SEC. They were all American. And it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion that these guys, you know, were going to go to the NFL and they're going to go first round. And I remember those two guys walking up to me after that game, after, you know, the, you know, Shane threw the interception. And they took it back. You know, we lost in the final minutes of that game. Um, but I remember them walking up to me and shaking my hand and saying, kid, you're going to be a great player someday. It's like, just just keep going. And and I, you know, and I kind of I'm like, man, these are two guys that you know, I hold, you know, in high regard as far as how they play and what they can do on film. And these guys say that I'm going to be great, you know, someday. And 
you know, so I, you know, I, I, you rededicate and you know, I had a really good coach. Like I said, Charlie Strong, you know, Bob Sanders, you know, they were, they were, they were good defensive minds. And, you know, we had resources at Florida and we always had, you know, access to, you know, NFL tapes and, you know, VHS back in those days it was VHS. We didn't have, you know, digital. And um, so we were always, you know, I was always in, in, in Coach Strong's office looking, you know, at guys in the league that were doing stuff and trying to get better. Um, but when I, when I, when I basically went to the NFL, that whole transition was, <laughs> that was a dream come true, you know, in so many ways. I mean, you know, Coach Spurrier had a way of, you know, we, we achieved greatness, but we were, and we were cocky about what we knew we could do. But when it came to like going into another setting and being around a bunch of other guys, like we were the nerds of football, you know what I'm saying? Like we were the guys who, who, who tried to win every sprint and like tried to like compete in the weight room. And, you know, I was a guy that when I got to the Rams, you know, I was kind of a goody goody because I was doing everything right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's just what we did at Florida. It's like, you know, half-stepping or not giving effort or not being on time or that kind of stuff. We just didn't – that's just not how we did things, you know. And, and yeah, you, you may go out and party or hang out or whatever, but it's like you never forsake your teammates or what you could give to the team because of your own stuff. That's just, that's just who we were. And so, you know, that was a bit of a culture shock when I got to the league because, you know, it, it wasn't – that that standard of greatness, you know, everywhere, you know, guys were, you know, it's a hard game and it's a hard locker room to stay in and guys are doing what they have to do to get by, to stay in the game and to stay relevant, you know, and get better. It's, it's, it's hard on that level, you know, to improve. It's hard to refine your technique and your craft so much as to where you're better than this guy who looks at, you know, and, and, and can do everything that you can do. It's, it, it's, you know, the separation really it's game of inches. So that's, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, going to the next level was, you know, how could I improve? You know, because I played the, the, the highest level of football, I think, you know, in college football and then went to the NFL. But I learned quickly, you know, as I got my ass kicked by, you know, some dude from no name state, you know, undrafted free agent, you know, who I was playing against in training camp who wore me out every day in training camp. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be a bust. Like, you know, it's, oh, no, it's my freshman year all over again. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, um, and so, it, you know, you go through that process. But I think, you know, that, that hunger and that thirst and, and wanting to be a great player, you know, it's, it's something, it's a, it's, a, it's a process that you have to keep going through, that reinvention of being willing to look at yourself and refine your technique and take a look at yourself and improve. It's... You know, it's a hard process, but, you know, that's – you get to that level, that's what that's what separates guys. What was the biggest difference for you from from college to the NFL? Obviously, I know Spurrier was running you guys and, you know, had super high expectations, especially the coaching staff along with him. But what was the biggest difference that you saw uh, when you made it to the NFL? Um, how compartmentalized, you know, each and every person was – when it came to being a team, you know, th there was so much in between, um, you know, you as the individual commodity product and the team. You know, it's like you had to go through, you know, your mini camps and organized team activities. And, you know, there are no friends, you know, during an NFL team. I mean, you talk about I know there's competition, you know, and, you know, your college locker room. But, you know, after you've gone out and you've ran and you competed, 
and you've played, you know, you, you pretty much know who the guys are and you're always making each other better. You're always pushing each other. But in the NFL, you know, it's, it's such a it's such a perception is reality, you know, type, you know, sport and game. It's, it's sensationalistic. It's, you know, so sometimes the difference between you and the guy they keep is the fact that, I don't know, you know, maybe he comes from a broken home and you don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it can be as, as simple as, you know, their perception of who you are as a person and how you do things. So the biggest difference for me personally walking into the NFL locker room was how disjointed, you know, everyone was because everyone had a different contract and everyone was making different amount of money and everyone's motivation was completely different. I mean, from person to person, it's like, you know, I was there and, you know, I had this, this rosy, you know, rainbow, you know, unicorn. Yeah. You know, yay. Team and good. I'm, in, I'm finally in my dream. Come <laughs> you know, I have horns on my helmet and thank you God. And I'm finally in the NFL and let's go be great. And let's go beat everybody. You know, and people were like, Man, give me some, give, give me some Vicodin. Let me, you know, shoot. I gotta, you know, I gotta pay this rent and I gotta make this money. You know, I'm on practice squad or I'm this. And and some guys were making millions and they had their whole, you know, network of a personal chef and a, you know, kinesiologist that stretched them. And you know, they had their team of people. And then you had this person who was trying to build his brand. And you had this one guy who, you know, was trying to work real estate deals the whole time. He's in the locker room. I mean. You have different people, and it was just, you know, everyone's trying to manage themselves and their own lives and circumstances. And, you know, the the last thing that everyone's concerned about, really, is the finished product of going out there and winning. You know, like right. getting past all of that to, you know, get your workout in, you know, watch extra film, take care of your body, you know, watch film and cut-ups with your position guys, you know, meeting on your own time and, you know, your, your diet and making sure, Hey, let's keep each other accountable, man. And, you know, I know we're going to go hang out this week, but you know, let's make sure we don't burn the candle or whatever, just that camaraderie and higher purpose. It was just so hard to get to, you know, and, and it's a, it's, it's a team culture thing. So I didn't experience that, 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 that pure raw, like love for football the same way, like, I didn't experience that again until, well, never really, <laughs> but since college. But but I had some piece of that when, when when we won a Super Bowl. You know, being on that team. You know, after you know Dick Vermeil walking in and basically saying, "In three years, we're going to be world champs," and and he says, "Look to the left and look to the right because there's going to be a lot of attrition between now and then." He says, "If there's if there's 15 guys left in this room on that team, I'll be surprised." You know, we're like, okay. <laughs> so basically, you go cut everybody in this room and go win a Super Bowl. <clears throat> and he's like, right. no, it's a, you know, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna take you through the fire, and whoever comes out pure gold at the end, you know, we're we're gonna hey, it's it's you know gonna whittle away at this piece of this piece of driftwood, and we're gonna carve something. And and that was his that was his attitude. And and so you know, he was someone that kind of made me believe again. And that, and that that whole team, you know, spirit of things that, that I had in college. And, you know, it basically guys were able to get past, you know, what they wanted, you know, individually. Because we all basically made up, made up our minds to say that, look, you go out and you win championships, then everybody gets paid. You know, and so you help you help yourself by helping the team. And, right. uh, and we were able to lay that down, you know, with him. And 
obviously, you know, the third year we, you know, picked up a guy named Marshall Falk from free agency. And, you know, we had a, we had a guy from the arena league who was our, who was running our scout team the year before. And right. uh, we drafted a kid named Tory Holt and, you know, the rest is history. The rest is history. Uh, let's go back to your, your rookie year. I mean, your freshman year in college, you kind of hit the field running, got on the field early. Um, that's not normal, especially in the SEC. Uh, then you got to the NFL, got on the field, got rookie of the year. Uh, I want to ask you that same pressure question that I asked you uh, as a freshman in college. What was the pressure like now that you, you got the NFL contract, you got the first round money, are uh, you playing real well? What, what was the pressure like home with family? Uh, was it new cousins reaching out for money? What was what was the what was the feels? You know what? It was it was all of the above. Um, it was, you know, my mom and dad. You know, I had great parents and. Um, you know, my dad, you know, to this day, you know, he, he tells me that, you know, your reputation is worth more than money, you know, right. and as he says, and in this process, basically, you're going to lose a lot of family, you're going to lose some friends, he says, because people are going to treat you differently, you know, and he says, and he says, but you know what, and he says, if you need a bad guy, I'll be your bad guy, he says, because, you know, I'm your dad, I don't want nothing from you, and he says, and if and if you if you need help and you know deflecting people away and basically and he said that to me and I was like okay dad you know he's being nice and whatever, but you know he was right I mean I, people come out of the woodworks <clears throat> you know just not just money but just you know wanting to have a piece of you know be, be part of what you're doing and you know it's an exciting time I mean there, there there's nothing quite like the profession of being a professional athlete it's it's you know being in the league. And being on that fifty-three, man, it's you know, it, it's it's addictive. It's it's pressure-filled. It's 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 the it's one of the the best adrenaline IVs that you can ever you know ever ever experience. And it's a it's a it's a, it's a train that leaves out of the station every every time, and it's never late, and it's moving at the speed of light, you know. And and if you slow down, man, from one year to the next, you know, you 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 can't catch it, and so for me, that transition and just having, you know, basically go through the attrition of losing family and friends and distancing. And, you know, you basically, you know, you put yourself on an island because, you know, because of and I know things are really bad now as for social media. But even back then, you know, you really had to worry about being a potential target, you know, for 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 all, ki all, all kinds of things. I mean, I was, you know, 21 years old, 20, 22 years old. And, you know, and I, I mean, I'd never lived anywhere else, but Florida. And so I was a new kid in St. Louis, you know, I mean, I was, you know, there had a, had a big luxury condo and driving a nice car. And, you know, I had car deal and, you know, my name's on billboards and, you know, I can right. go to a lot of places and people want my autograph and it's just a different life, man. And, and and I found out really quickly that, you know, you got to keep focused on what you're doing. <laughs> like, so for me, you know, my biggest fear again was, man, you know, I've, I've gotten these accolades. I've been paid this money. You know, there are guys in this locker room, you know, that resent, you know, how much, you know, you know, first rounders get paid. I was a six pick overall. So basically I didn't know, you know, uh, I, I didn't know the defense or my craft from a hole in the wall and, you know, I'm making better money, you know, and, and I got to right. start and I got to start because I'm the first rounder and they expect me to start, you know, and look at me, hell, I'm, you know, six, six, 285 pounds and can run through eight brick walls. And I'm from the sec and I'm, you know, this man child 
And of course, you know, go ahead, young man, you're supposed to be great, you know, and, you know, pressure hard, man. I, you know, I, I had to put my nose to the grindstone and, you know, go back to the drawing board. Had a great coach my, my, my rookie year by the name of Deke Pollard. And Deke was a really good technique, you know, technician of a coach. And he's this little old man, you know, and I had to really put my ego aside because I was like, you know, this guy, you know, didn't rush the pass. He played defensive back when he played. How can he teach me? How can he make me better at my craft? You know, how can he help me get better? You know, and, and so I, you know, you got to put all that aside because, you know, that person, whether they, you know, played the position or understand it, you know, they're there for a reason. And, you know, and he was a good coach and he was really good to me. And so I worked on my craft and started learning about hand placement, what I was looking at, you know, breaking, breaking down the pieces of my game that I needed work on and went about the process of getting better. And, you know, my, my, my rookie year, we had some success. We were new to the city and, and, you know, we, that's what I think my, my, my rookie year is when I, I realized that we had a lot of talented guys on defense and we had a lot of pride in our defense and you know the Rams were we weren't a good team back in those days and we were getting our brains beat on our offense and we had a quarterback carousel you know with an offensive line and a running game that was a joke we had a you know running back for one year you know who did not want to be there and Jerome Bettis and he got himself out of there in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. you know very quickly so it was it was really just a just a bad you know viewed as a very bad job to have or a bad franchise to be a part of especially if you were on offense and you know and I, that was completely different than, than culture shock than what I went through at Florida I mean I was used to a high flying offense and man you know basically I had to rededicate myself and say you know what we're, we're not going to get respect but it's going to be about what people see on film and mm-hmm. the people that that play this game the GMs when they turn this tape on they're going to see me doing what I got to do, you know, and I, and I would tell like guys in the game who playing, we play the 49ers and they're like, Oh, we beat your brains in. They talk trash. And I'm like, you, you guys may beat us. I'm like, but you know what? Everybody's going to turn the film on. They're going to see me whipping your ass, you know? And <laughs> that was, that, that was my thing. And that was, you had to have that pride about you. So for, you know, four seasons, man, there in St. Louis, we got our brains beat in and we were a joke. And then that fifth year, you know, we, we, we hit light, we struck lightning in a bottle. And so, you know, it was, yeah. and then you have a Super Bowl ring to, uh, to prove it, you know, so after that, Kevin, you know, you, you had a, a great career in St. Louis, you get traded, uh, to the Titans. Did you expect to get traded or, or talk to us about what it's like to go through, go through that process? You're coming off a of Super Bowl. Uh, you're obviously, you know, doing really, really well. Uh, you made the Pro Bowl by then, and then you get traded to the Titans. What what goes through your mind when, when something like that happens? Well, you know, the NFL is a, is a business. <laughs> and then that's what people, you have to realize that, you know, no matter how great you are, no matter how much, like, success your team has, you know, you have, everyone has the individual obligation to make the most of their own playing situation. And you can choose to, you know, be a be a follow suit, be a nice guy and take what the management gives you. But realize no matter who you are, no matter how much you've given to a team, no matter how long you've been underpaid and you've over and outperformed your contract, an NFL team will always try to get you for less than they can pay you. OK, they don't want to pay you. Right. It's just the nature. It's, it's not personal. And they tell you yeah. it's not personal. It's business. Mm-hmm. So. That was the case. I mean, it was, you know, during my fifth year, 
there as um, as a St. Louis Ram from the start of the 1998 season, um, basically, which was two years prior to that, including the um, the well, yeah, including that season, I had more sacks than anybody else in the league for like two years at that point. And um, and I'm you know here I am seeing guys get their contracts redone and all the top pass rushers, so to speak. You know, Strahan signs this deal where he's making like seven and a half or eight million a year. You know, Robert Porsche signs this deal where he's making like six million a year and all this stuff. And all these guys are like re-upping, you know, their deals. And Simeon Rice, you know, redoes his deal. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I got more sacks than all these guys, you know. And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of getting to the tail end of this deal. You know, do the right thing, let's renegotiate so I can stay here in St. Louis, you know. And, of course, you know, when teams have the opportunity to, to redo you and do you early – they don't do it. Of course, they push the envelope until, you know, it comes into the time. And then, of course, you look like a bad guy because you're trying to get the money that you're deserving. And, you know, and it's just a it's it is a business and it is not it's not personal. But it unfortunately, it can get very personal with the fans and the interpretation of what, you know, a player and a billion dollar entity is going through in terms of negotiating the terms of their working for them. So, you know, that's. That was basically what went on in year six. Um, you know, had a great season, still had, you know, had uh, still had 11 sacks that year. And it was the year we lost in the first round of the playoffs. It was the first year that um, Coach Vermeil stepped down. Mm. And that was also part of, you know, why of, of why things went awry as well. Because Coach Vermeil, basically, we, we heard his announcement when we were at the Pro Bowl. So there's like nine of us. At the Pro Bowl, um, me, Marshall, Orlando, T. Light, um, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, um, you know, Demarco Farr. I mean, we're we are half our teams there, and um, and we get called into a room, and and Coach Vermeil's on a conference call, and he tells us that he's stepping down, and we're like, what the hell, Coach? We just won Super Bowl, had a parade like three days ago, you know, and you're retiring, and he's like, well, you know, there's a lot of pressure, you know, because of management. Um, and I guess, you know, because of their relationship with Mike Martz and, you know, when trying to get his contract redone and it's just it's just better that I step step away from things. And we were all bummed about that, but, you know, didn't have the same relationship with Mike Martz that I did with Dick Vermeil. You know, you start getting into a contract squabble, then sometimes people think it's about them and it's really not. <laughs> it's really about you. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, and, and I could I could really care less if it was who, what coach it was, you know, I'm trying to make this money, you know. And, um, and so that's basically, I had to get out of St. Louis and they were going to franchise me. And I had an opportunity, um, as to where the Tennessee Titans were willing to give up, give up a first round pick in order to, um, you know, for, for, for my rights. And so that's what we did. They, um, they gave up a first round pick and I went to Tennessee and, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking and, you know, I had a great time and a great camaraderie with a great group of guys. But I finally had the contract that I was due after mm-hmm. leading the NFL in sacks, you know, and making a fraction of the money that I should have been, that I could have been making, you know, you know, if they had extended the deal. And I don't begrudge them at all. Didn't at the time. It's just business. But likewise, you know, you do what you have to do. I'm going to do what I have to do in order to, you know, to, to make sure that I'm not out here beating my brains in, you know, taking years right. off of life and it's going to be worth it. And, um, and so end up in Tennessee, you know, and great organization, you know, great people, another great coach. Uh, I, I feel so lucky because I played for Spurrier, 
you know, in college, uh, you know, I, I played for um, big for meal for the Rams and now I'm playing for Jeff Fisher, you know, and great staff, you know, good people, you know, and great dudes there too. So Kevin, you are three time SEC champion consensus, all American, uh, Rookie of the year, led the NFL in sacks, all pro, two-time pro bowler, and a Super Bowl champion. With all those accolades, what are you most proud of, man? <laughs> um, you know what? I'm I'm most proud of the the platform that I think all those accolades um, that it's given me, and my ability to affect the lives of others. And and I know you know that sounds it may sound corny, but nah, it doesn't at all, my man. It's one of those things, man, that, you know, you talk about all these, you know, accolades and when people start, you know, reading off all that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm humbled, you know, by the achievement. But <clears throat> to me, if you're not using that to help somebody or do something for someone else, then, you know, why do you have all of that? And, and I and so for me, you know, for me, the Kevin Carter Foundation, you know, when I got to Tennessee, you know, I've been doing a lot of charity work. At, at that point in my, you know, professional life and all through college and I was involved, you know, my church growing up, you know, my dad was a deacon in our church and my mom was a deaconess. You know, she was wearing the big hats on Sunday. Already. Oh, yeah. Already. My grandma used to make the big hats. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, we, you know, we was in church all day Sunday, you know, growing up. And it's like that benevolence, that serving the community, you know, that's what I grew up with. And so. When I got to Tennessee, man, you know, after lending my name and time to a bunch of different things, my wife and I founded the Kevin Carter Foundation. And and I'm proud to say that over the last 20 years since its creation, we've given away nearly four million dollars to charity. So That's awesome. Beautiful, man. man. That's beautiful. The majority of that is going to make a wish. And, you know, we have events every year and, and do things. And, you know, I my, my co-host is uh, Jay DeMarcus from Rascal Flats. And mm-hmm. We, we put on, you know, great events and do a lot of great things and just, you know, bless the lives of others. So to answer your question, man, I'm, I'm proud of all that stuff, you know, that, I, that I've achieved, but and I'm thankful for it. But, man, you know, when I stand up there and I can actually give a check, you know, for a couple of hundred thousand dollars to grant wishes right. to the kids with life-threatening illnesses and their families, that, I mean, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's God's work. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime we can get involved and help you out with your charity work, uh, give us a shout out. Uh, we like to help all the gators, uh, foundations, anything they got going, man. So reach out to us. We're uh, glad to help out. Absolutely. Well, well, Kevin, man, we really appreciate you hanging out with us for an hour uh, this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you, and we we appreciate you hopping on this uh, this evening. Uh, let everybody know where they can follow you. Obviously, they can follow you on CBS, not the SEC Network, uh, but we're also on social media. Can they find you? Um, I'm, I'm verified account. So if you don't see the very good check by it, it's, it's, it's not me, but I'm it's just flex Kevin, on him. Kevin Carter underscore 93. So that's, that's fine. Hey, on Facebook, hey, Kevin Carter foundation. Hey, Dan, Dan, is your account uh, verified? Dan? It's not a mod. It's not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, <laughs> one of these days. Well, Kevin, we appreciate it, my friend. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Go Gators. Go Gators. Hey, this is just a legend show. You know, we hang out with the legends, Super Bowl winners, consensus All-Americans. You know how we vibe. A show. Definitely, uh, man, Kev was was a guy that, you know, growing up, 
um, definitely, definitely looked up to, man, as a, as a good and great. It's one of the guys that we hear about a lot um, in the building. Yeah, and you come in, you know, it's one of the things about Urban, what, what, he, what he used to bring, um, you know, uh, present to, to the, the current guys is all the guys that played before us and kind of like made the platform. You get what I'm saying? And, and kind of, you know, open the way for the Gators and, and, and how we, we are today. So uh, right. I appreciate it, man. Definitely uh, one of the Gator greats. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Uh, we, we ain't doing Word of the Week and all. It's, it's a long show, man. We got to get to our families and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, that, no, it's longer than I thought. Hey, man, listen, man. Listen, it, it, it feels good, though. Yeah, for sure. I definitely had a blast, always. From from the intro to the finish, I think we got some uh a little heat off our chest, and then we got we got some laugh and some good memories in man. Shout out to the all football sports for hanging out with us. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Y'all got Absolutely. shout outs? Um first responders, all that. Yeah. We still uh still still being safe from that, man. Everybody stay safe, stay quarantined and whatnot, Let's man. Follow the- Absolutely. Let's shout out my man Spencer's man, jerk and jerk, man, oh, yeah, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, we got to shout him out, man. Uh, he runs our social media, uh, keeps everything popping and moving. Uh, business is booming for him, so y'all keep buying the jerky, man. The best jerky moving. And I'm anti, I'm a vegan. So, you know the vibes. <laughs> Support my dog. I love it. Oh, uh, speaking of which, check out our uh, our store, uh, stadiummiguel.com. We got Correct. a bunch of shirts. We got hats coming soon. Stay tuned to social media for the hats. Uh, we got a bunch of content that we're going to put out there. So so check it out, stadiummiguel.com. We're going to up the merch, too. We're going to up the merch. Uh, we, yeah. need, we need y'all to support with the merch game because not from like a financial standpoint, but we just want our logo out yeah. there, Listen. visible. Uh, we're the biggest no, we're- podcast, but we're trying to get bigger. So that's the vibes. We, we definitely want to do something as far as, you know, first couple of people buy something, man. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I autograph it and, and send it back out to you guys. So, oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, we could definitely figure it out. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. So, so check it out. Yeah, I'm signing it too. If y'all want, y'all want, y'all want my autograph? I got y'all. And then yeah, I'll give you my autograph too. Hey, somebody, somebody on Twitter, I forgot who it was. My apologies. I uh, want a, uh, a Dan All American shirt. So, we're going to make that happen. Yeah, we gotta make that happen. I call Kevin. Um, might be a one-time order, but you gotta call Kevin Camps, man. And get, we got, get yeah, him. we gotta make an edit of a guy with a confused face. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, but if you uh, any ideas that you have, we'll give you whatever you your ideas that we turn into merch. We'll give it to you for free. So, Correct. Yeah. So, set, oh, so we, let's do a competition. Who makes yeah. the best uh, Dan All American edit shirt? Uh, we're paying residuals and, yeah, yeah. and whatnot on it. Oh yeah, we're Dan, not we're not cheap. We're giving out money. We're, correct. And Dan, Dan got to have a, a gold plate. And, oh and, yeah, very. Oh, you give him the grill. Yeah, you got to give him a grill. Okay, all right. So, uh, all right, so, man. so do all when that. You start, when you when you join the yacht club, you you gotta get you a grill. That's the only way to fit in, right? Six at the bottom or something, man. You gotta yeah. get something, man. More of a Michael. Yeah, Dan seen the pounds just get that orange and blue bowl. He was like, boy, it's trying to outdo me out here. That <laughs> nigga ain't got no bread. Hey, you, can't, you can't flex during quarantine and not expect to flex back, right? Now I got a new boat every week. What's up? It's right. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have thousands of boats <laughs> now. <laughs> Step it up, pounces. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Um, uh, oh, uh, check us out on Patreon too. We're going to be doing a lot more of these uh, live streams with uh, with these guys uh, that we're going to put on um, over Skype uh, on our Patreon. We're going to be doing free giveaways, free merch. Obviously, we dropped the, the show early. Uh, we ask you guys for questions for for big guests and everything else. So join us, patreon.com slash Gale. It's like $5 a month to join. We'd love your support there. Hey, we moved the meter. Y'all just remember that, Gator Nation. We moved the meter. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be clickbait. Throw it out there. Y'all got to know how to react to it, too, because we moved the meter. That's what it is. Hey, speaking of moving the meter, I, I saw I got an email today that our podcast at one point last week was the number two uh, sports podcast in all of the country of Jordan last week. Oh, yeah. We everywhere. Yeah. Middle East you know, vibes. I might be a celebrity in Jordan. Let me let me find out. My middle name Jordan. So, yeah. Oh, very good. That's probably why. You can't even hoop. That's crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. You guys want to close this out? Bro, Amad, I'll be honest with you, man. On paper, reading your name, you might be on the FBI terrorist watch list. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so, it's so funny. It's Just on paper. Amad Jordan Black sounds look, like look, he blows shit so up. Funny. It's so funny you say that. <laughs> I, I really got my name from Amara Rashad. My mom, you know, loved looking at Amara Rashad and whatnot. So it, it was cool to kind of like, did. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad listening, tighten up. Hey, bro. <laughs> no, I'm just playing with you, man. Uh, nah, man. So, uh, nah, it's all good. Um, but, you know, when I be killing killing up people on Call of Duty and whatnot, it's so funny to hit a reaction of people like, because it just says Amon. They're like, you terrorists? And, you know, <laughs> and stuff. And I'm just sitting back laughing so hard. Because I'm like, bro, like, what are you talking about? Like, they call me uh, all kind of. So, so I, can see, yeah, I can see why you would get hassled by TSA. That's all I'm going to say, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I would get, it wouldn't be racial profiling. There you go. There you go. Good detective work. All right, man. Same corner, same time. Who got a song? Who got a song? Black got the song. Hey man, play that your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna play it out my phone. Hey Cam, take us take us out with uh, "All In" by Lil Baby. Oh man, he give us some heat. Give us all the heat. Same corner, same time, man. We out here. All right, fellas. See you on the seas. Cut that shit up, Quay. My mama been told me don't get no poor performance. And whatever you gon' do, just do it. Never thought about doing music. I was trying to build my phone up. Contact full of drug abusers. Run around with that mask trying to figure out what my cousin doing. Prison with the Migo, found out they was selling bricks. Wish I would've knew that shit, I would've been lit. Swear to God, since I was 17, I've been hood rich. I be at James Harden house, I'm all in Houston in the mix. I'm talking about spare time in New York. I buy flow seats to watch the Knicks and I don't even know no players. I just want to show off my new drip and put my chains in layers. I might just stand up and go crazy, someone make a layer. We ain't squashing shit for free, you niggas gotta pay us You niggas better pay us, yeah No, he might not beat it, I told a lawyer, go for a lighter sentence I don't want no problem with y'all niggas, y'all got women tennis I don't gotta sell drugs no more, I'm bossed up, got plenty business Run around that lamb truck, I wreck this bitch, it ain't rented Giving out my respect, get respect in every city Niggas know I came up, but I came back through the slums with Diddy Fucked around and got plugged in, I'm buying now, red Richard Miller Stay out my little brother business, just know that they give millions Press the button right there To let the doors in Sipping wacky on him, coming up that piano, and me bust it down. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Fuck out what you want it. Man, there's nothing on me. I'm not being funny, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should've knew you was gon' wreck the day you told me. A hundred racks and all dubs, it ain't no folding me. Ain't no puppet, ain't with nobody controlling me. I go LeBron when it's crunch time, it ain't no holding me. Got a Maybach bench truck, I'm tryna buy one. I told her shawty just let bygones be bygones. Tell the fans get out my dick, I don't gotta buy guns. They got the right one, yeah. Press the button right there. To let the doors in, go hard, ah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going all in, this house vibes everywhere. She calling more friends, my word or I cannot bargain to let the doors in. I'm going all in. She calling more friends. I cannot bargain.